Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Joined at this time, my good friend down there in Decula, Georgia, fellow University of North Georgia alumni. Matthew Green himself, Matthew W. Green, some call him Matt underscore W underscore Green. Sir, how some are you? Some people do call me that. <laughs> um, I'm doing well, sir. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. The Braves tied for first in the NL East as they come roaring back. Uh, maybe... But I think uh, by the end of the day, I think the Mets are back uh, half game in front because they, yeah. they had a double header today. Uh, oh. So, yeah, I got two wins on us. But... You know, division is far from over. Hey, this is good baseball, though, right? Like, this is what you want down the stretch, where every game matters and uh, how whichever way it goes um, can influence who uh, who gets to host a divisional round, who has to be an immediate wild card, and all that kind of stuff. So, very very excited to see how that ultimately unfolds. But it's the best time of year, man. I um, I did my walk with. Khaleesi the dog and the fiance this evening um and macaroon like i love flannels i'm a big flannel guy i love <laughs> coffee uh, i love uh, hot tea i've got my hot tea right here um it's ginger lemon ginger it's one of my go-to's i uh, love ginger tea it's a it's a good one uh, i do a green tea in okay. the afternoon i do a gray tea um mixing and matching uh with my with my coffee but um, it hits different when uh, when it's a little bit cooler outside. And on our walk there, the the leaves were falling. I just kind of wanted. I'm a big soundtrack guy, so I wanted to kind of. Uh, it took a lot for me not to just have the Hocus Pocus soundtrack playing during our Hocus walk because. Pocus. And Hocus Pocus you big too. Halloween guy. Oh, love Halloween, love Halloween, love mm. Christmas. Those are the two, but like. October. We didn't get any trick or treaters last year, so we're not. We're probably not going to buy any more candy. You still got to do it just in case. They might come back this year. I. I don't know. People are. It's getting more. We're getting back to normal. I feel like it's going to be better this year than it was a year ago. I would. I would estimate. I would also say, Matt Green, that look, October is undoubtedly the number one month of the year. If we could get more Octobers, the world would be a happier place. Like that's just perfect weather, perfect views, perfect looks. I'm a big mountain guy. The mountains are my favorite. And man, it just felt so nice. I, I it was I could have thrown on a flannel and I would have just been nice and cozy and just uh, <laughs> domestic bliss uh, is all I'm looking for, man. I'll have to agree with you on uh, on October. That probably is the, the prime month, especially with uh, the last few years. Braves playing uh, baseball deep into October, overlapping with football season and the best weather of the year. I'm uh, I'm all with you on October. I mean, this those, time not, of year. those on the podcast rocking my World Series champion shirt, you know, no big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you can see it uh, as we do some housekeeping here to get things started on this edition of the program. Matt Green, you can check us out on YouTube, full episodes, all that good stuff, clips over on the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe and check us out there. That is updated daily. You can uh, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But if you are an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener, please, please, please make sure that you take five seconds, just takes five seconds to leave this show a five-star rating and a review on either of those platforms. It helps other people find the show. 
and it helps this very show continue to grow. You can find Matt on Twitter and all of his CFB takes as he goes at it on twitter.com with other folks at uh, Matt underscore W underscore green. Matt's about it. He, uh, he, he's about it. And uh, I'm more of a lurker and <laughs> just uh, post my stuff and then move on for the day and keep up with the news and all that good stuff. But you can find me at Chase double underscore thomas um you can also write the show love to hear from you guys with any of your college football takes or anything you want to get in touch with matt or myself chase thomas podcast at gmail.com and of course as always full episodes and all the kind of content and information about this very show if you're new to the program chase thomas podcast.com so check that out today as well matt green uh nigel the nighthawk as to ung alums uh we love this segment to kick things off during football season we've got the Nigel, the Nighthawk news hour. Um, not the most pleasant news to start off here because Guy Morris uh, passed away uh, this week at age 71, uh, coaching legend. And I thought we the best way to uh, talk about his impact in college football and everything else, he coached a lot of different stops from Texas, coached Kentucky, among other places. But it's the look. He will always have that uh, still image for me, Matt Green, where he's <laughs> looking off. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Guy Morris surprise face is etched the, in my brain forever. Guy Morris, obviously R.I.P., but I definitely think of the premature Gatorade bath. Yes. And uh, the LSU miracle in the bluegrass, I believe is what we call that, uh, that great moment in college football history. Yeah, uh, Kentucky thought they had the upset win, but... LSU got the Hail Mary at the end. Uh, real unfortunate. I feel like as a head coach, you just... That's probably why he's so pissed off in the moment. It's like, guys, mm. game's not over. What the hell? And then that to happen, just the ultimate. That was that was one of the all-timers, honestly, as far as college football moments. Just all the different faces of all the Kentucky fans that rushed the field, just the... Just running out there and then and then seeing LSU players celebrate like wait wait what we we lost like that was a that was a classic. He was only there for one year. I didn't realize guy or two years, excuse me. And uh, he went from two and nine to seven and five in his two years at Kentucky. Then he went to Baylor um, for five years. Never got them to eligibility, but you know, like great NFL career. Uh, played uh, from nineteen seventy three to nineteen eighty seven. Um, with the Eagles and the Patriots as a center and a guard, um, bounced around in the coaching ranks, was at Valdosta at one point, um, coached from 1988 uh, with the Patriots, the O-line coach, to all the way up until 2015 as the Lexington Christian Academy offensive line coach. But he coached everywhere, Texas A&M Commerce, Warren Central High School, Mississippi State, San Antonio Texans, like just everywhere, just a, a coaching and football lifer, and uh, had a great impact on the game. So R.I.P. Guy Morris. Um, Sam Hartman, who we were wondering, uh, after the mysterious illness that sidelined him for the foreseeable future, there was no timeline on when Sam would be returning under center for the Demon Deacons. They survived and really looked pretty solid uh, without him in week one for the claw fence down there in Winston-Salem. Um, but he's back. Uh this week um so he's cleared earlier than i think a lot of people had perhaps anticipated but uh what do you make of our uh the women in our lives favorite quarterback uh returning to the fold <laughs> i swear I, this is only your favorite quarterback <laughs> i don't know what you i don't even know what you're talking about but um 
I think this is massive. I think when we both went through the the Wake Forest over under uh, win totals, we're just like, well, I have no idea now because if this team doesn't have Sam Hartman, it's like, yeah, they could win three, four games and not be surprised, you know. But you know, this this definitely makes uh, Wake Forest an instant contender. I mean, this is a team that won the ACC. Atlantic division? Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. They won the Atlantic last year. Like they were in the AC, ACC championship. So uh, this is huge. And they only had to play. They're one and zero. Went one and zero without their starter, and now he's back. I feel like the sky is the limit. Like whatever the previous limit was for <laughs> Wake Forest, the previous ceiling was for Wake Forest. Like that's where they're back to. Like and they got Vanderbilt this week. Like that that low key became like kind of an exciting game now. They needed him right away. So it's funny when you look at this schedule, man, like this is suddenly like a really rough go of things. So I'm going to be very fascinated to see how this goes for uh, for Wake Forest over the next couple weeks because they don't really have any cupcakes. Like they're going to be in a dogfight for a while. Like we're looking at maybe November is the first break. And it's not even really a break because you get UNC and NC State back to back. But it's... It's rough as a whole because, look, they go to on the road at Vanderbilt. It's 2-0, an improved Vanderbilt um, that we – we'll see how that goes. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's a toss-up at this point. I would not etch that in stone. It's like, yeah, Wake Forest should be the favorite. Road game, SEC team, we'll see um, which way that goes. Liberty, Charlie Brewer, hurt again. He's out for the foreseeable future. We'll see what happens there with Liberty going to Wake Forest. But it's a good team. Hugh Freeze, this group coming in. Um, as an out-of-conference kind of one of those spots where Tennessee has Akron. They bring in Caden Salter, old friend uh, from University of Tennessee, Tennessee legend. Caden Salter will be under center for the Flames in that one. But then you get Clemson at home on September 24th. You go on the road at Florida State, who that looks like a significantly tougher game than it was previously. Then you get this weird Army matchup right in the middle of your schedule. So you're like, oh, crap, we got to play a triple option right after all of this, right in the middle of our season. And then at Louisville, at NC State, UNC at home, Syracuse looks a lot better this year um, after what we saw from week one. I don't know. Wake's got a sneaky, sneaky, tough schedule. So they needed Sam Hartman back earlier than ever. So this is the best case scenario for them. And I'm I'm just happy he's healthy enough to play again. Yeah, without a doubt. We all know how that that Army game went last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just an all-timer. But, um, yeah, they they really don't have an easy spot on that schedule until maybe at Duke at the very end of the season. Um, And believe it or not, they're a 12.5-point favorite uh, this weekend versus Vanderbilt. That's that's kind of surprising me. But um, I think that should be a pretty close game. But, yeah, this is huge news for Wake Forest. So uh, one of the better teams in the – potentially one of the better teams in the ACC now that they have their, their starting quarterback. Absolutely. Um, the AP poll for Week 2 and the S&P Plus rankings both come out uh, ahead of Week 2 here in the college football season. I think it's interesting. I like comparing the two and looking at the two disparities uh, between them, where S&P Plus, obviously from ESPN's uh, Bill Connolly, um, who's just a fantastic college football uh, writer um, and analyst, and his S&P Plus model is uh, something I have uh, looked at and just um, prioritized in my college football coverage for years and I highly encourage folks to do so and read Bill's work if they have not already done so. But you look at that and you compare it with the AP poll and what people are seeing there. 
and there are some some disparities. One of the major ones is Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee coming in at eight on the on the S and P Plus poll, S and P Plus uh, rankings. They have a twenty two. For context, the number one team uh, is the Alabama Crimson Tide, thirty seven point six. Georgia number two, thirty five, and those are distant first uh, and second numbers for Bama and Georgia, and that's the same in uh, the AP. Those are both the same one, two, three, where you just get Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan though, number four in both as well, which I thought was fascinating. S and P plus though, Texas A and M number five. Uh, number six for uh, the AP poll, which surprised me. I thought AM would be further down the list than the AP poll after what they saw early on, but they didn't really drop that much. The biggest one is AM or Tennessee and Wisconsin and where folks see them. Yeah, but now our, I see why you're, uh, you're liking this SP Plus poll. It's one of the, hey, or Josh Pate. Josh Pate also has, I think, Tennessee in the top 12 in his poll ahead of week to, uh, week two, the Pate poll, uh, Pate power rankings, whatever he calls it on late kick. Um, he has Tennessee pretty high. Um, I don't know. I it, it is fascinating that the AP poll also has Florida at 12, Utah at 13. I think Oklahoma State at 11 feels high in the AP poll. Uh, they're 25th in the S&P poll, uh, S&P poll uh, for I keep saying poll S and P plus rankings, um, which is a big difference uh, between the two. But I don't know when you look at both, what jumps out the most to you, Matt Green? Well, the first thing that jumps out when I look at the AP poll is definitely Florida. Like that was kind of out of nowhere. It's interesting how I don't know. There's just the kind of a paradoxical logic when it comes to making the AP poll because, like, sometimes you you really care about that preseason number you put by somebody and sometimes you just throw it out completely in week one. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, Utah is what preseason seven and they, they lose to an unranked team essentially. Right. But we've decided, no, Utah is really good. Florida's just really good. So that's how, that's why Florida's up at 12 and Utah's still at 13. Whereas Oregon's at 11, right, and gets absolutely mm-hmm. dismantled by number two Georgia, and it's like, well, they're they're clearly not top 25. Get these get these guys out of here. They're they're pretenders. It's like, well, maybe they're just the 15th best team, and they just got absolutely dismantled by number two. You know, so it's interesting when they kind of when you want to throw out the preseason ranking and and when you want to find it important. But um, NC State, I thought was a team that, despite being one and needed to drop like. They didn't look very good. Notre Dame, I think, you know, that made sense, them getting respect with a with a respectable loss and only dropping a couple spots. Even though, like, we talk about this, like, it's just how the polls are supposed to work. You lose and you drop. But it's like if number five loses to number three by, what was it, ended up being 14? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's probably about the difference between number five and number three, two touchdowns. So... Um, but yeah, so I, I, don't, I didn't really have many problems with it. The S&P Plus is uh, the one that stood out to me, though, like you're talking about with Tennessee up there at eight and Wisconsin at nine. Um, I thought those were two interesting, uh, interesting ones right there. But Clemson, like Clemson at seven, like, I don't know, 41-10 is the final score of that game. I think everyone watching that game, like, we saw what we saw, right? Like that might be the final score, but you messed around with a Georgia Tech team for far too long. Just an inferior Georgia. And I mean, at one point, uh, and they blocked two punts. Like at one point, it was 
what was it, like 24-10 or something? Mm-hmm. With And they had two 10-yard fields after the block punt. So that offense just looked, you know, absolutely no better uh, this year under DJ Uyunglele than it, than it did last year. It's, it's hard to be encouraged, especially with, you know, I'm not going to fall in love with Cade Klubnik because of what he did in garbage time, but I feel like I, you still feel the exact same way about uh, DJ that you did uh, coming into the season. Yeah, it's just the defense. Like, the defense is as good as advertised. Uh, Goodwin's going to be a great DC, and he, they're going to be fine without Venables in that defense. Like, they're going to be fine. It's just the offense. Like you said, DJ is still not the inter- intermediate kind of guy. He's still the big boom threat, and, I mean, he had some good runs in this one. Uh, he had some fun celebrating, staring down some Tech players as he danced into the end zone at one point in this one. But, I mean, Tech, that was just that was rough, man. Like, this is it. Like, there was no doubt now that this is it for Jeff Collins on the flats this fall, I think. Um, there was, I think they did one of the worst fourth down calls uh, in this one where the dude just falls down on the jet sweep uh, in their own territory. I think they were down two scores at that point. It might have been 24 to 10. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, but one of the more just sad trombone uh, moments <laughs> for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets were. It's just not going to work. None of this is going to work. And Jeff Sims was okay in this one. He was fine. Um, yeah, I honestly thought Jeff Sims was running around, making some plays. Like, you know, I mean, Georgia, you just looked at that Georgia Tech roster. Like, just the mm. players they had on the field, it's like these don't look like ACC players. Like, they just – it feels like they're playing with a hand behind behind their back. Like, that just – it wasn't even a fair fight. And still Clemson was just, just messing around and wasn't pulling away. It was like – um, I think I heard Joe Hamilton talking about it on the radio um, the, on 680. It's like it, it looked like Georgia Tech knew it was coming. Like Clemson's offense was just so predictable. Like it was just – and eventually they just had better players, so they started to, you know, wear them down. But I don't know. I was just very unimpressed by Clemson. And, you know, I'm sure Dabo get mad about little Clemson winning and getting dropped in the rankings. But – they just they did not look very good for most of that Georgia Tech game. The last big disparity between the two I want to mention before we move on, Mississippi State number twelve in S P plus, and they are not in the top twenty five for the AP poll. So a uh, big disparity between the what the numbers see with Mississippi State and what uh, voters, human beings, see with Mississippi State. Yeah, that is especially there's eight SEC teams in the top twenty-five right now of the in the AP, which mm. is I don't know if I don't remember, remember the last time there's ever been eight SEC teams, and and it's that's not going to last because they're going to start beating each other. But um, so it's interesting that Mississippi State isn't even one of those eight. Yeah, I mean, for reference, you got Tennessee, you've got Ole Miss, Kentucky, um, Florida, you've got. Where else are we going? Uh, A&M, Georgia, and Bama. On, uh, in Arkansas, did I say Arkansas? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think the one thing that's just weird to me is that Florida's number 12. I, I just beating Utah, good win, grinded out win. But I think it goes back to, like, well, what is Tennessee supposed to do? Or Kentucky or Ole Miss or some of these other schools. So Florida just makes this huge jump up. Because um, I don't think they were ranked the previous week, but then they get – they move up to number 12 in the AP poll this week because they survived Utah at home. But, like, some of these other teams, like Tennessee played a cupcake. Uh, some of these other schools played cupcakes. But, like, 
I think if you put them on a neutral site right now, or if you just do Florida, Tennessee this weekend, Tennessee's favored in that one. I think Ole Miss is probably favored against them. I even think uh, Kentucky at home, they'd be favored. But right now, Florida is favored. We'll get into the Florida-Kentucky game uh, this weekend. But I thought Florida moving up to number 12 is too high. I think people have now over <laughs> yeah. overhyped what Florida is going to be this year based on that win. Especially because, I mean, you watch the game, and, and I wouldn't take anything away from Florida. It's, mm-hmm. I would say it's one of the biggest wins of the weekend. Like, you know, in terms of Georgia probably having the most impressive win, uh, destroying Oregon the way they did. Like, or uh, Florida first game of the new head coach ups, uh, upsetting a top 10 team. That's probably the second most impressive win of, of the entire first weekend. But when you watch the game, did you think you were watch like, did you think this felt like a heavyweight match that like, these are two of the best teams in college football going up against each other? It felt like it was high. It was a higher level of play than like LSU, Florida State, right? Mm-hmm. But it was, it felt more kind of like, oh uh, yeah, these are two solid teams. Like, I don't. I, I wouldn't just overreact. and I would say probably we had Utah a little overrated, and we probably had Florida a little underrated maybe coming into the season. But to have Florida jump all the way from unranked to 12, like I still think, you know, we'll learn about Kentucky, where Kentucky and Florida stand and where Tennessee and Florida stand in a few weeks. But uh, it was interesting for them to jump all of those teams just for a, for a pretty good win because it was also at home. Like we know – the swamp accounts for you know at least a solid three three seven point swing so it's not it, w- it wasn't a, a crazy spread or anything so um i don't know i not to take anything for, away from florida like i said but it was it was surprising to see them go from unranked all the way to 12. i am hyped for kentucky florida this weekend i am hyped for that one man um that's gonna be a lot of fun and we'll get into that uh later on the show but not a lot of great like primetime games this weekend either so i think you don't that's, think so that's the one i think that's i'll be glued to that one like what seven o'clock seven thirty well i've got a i've got a difficult spot to be in man you know how i feel about the byu kooks they get they're at 10 15 against baylor oh, yeah that's way later that's you know that's that's the nightcap but that's not even my favorite nightcap you got 11 p.m east coast time arizona hosting the Mississippi State Bulldogs. That is going to be an absolute banger of a game, and I have a, I have a hunch of where Zeus's home dog of the week is going to go this week. But um, I don't know. Yeah, outside of that, I mean, Arizona State, Oklahoma State doesn't really do it for me. I think Stanford, USC, like we'll get into that on our preview picks and stuff. But like you said, I think uh, it will not be um, – it's not the greatest uh, nightcap sleep, but, uh, slate, but I'm okay with that because Florida and UK are on at 7, which will have my attention at that particular time. Um, and we get some good noon ones, and I'll have to sprinkle in a little Georgia Samford at some point mm. while keeping up with Tennessee Pitt. So, uh, yeah, should be a good one. I think uh, one might be a little bit closer than the other on that front um but i samford put out like a graphic like uh the bigger they are like dot 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 like yeah i I respect it i think they beat florida or no they did they didn't beat florida a couple years ago it was like when like 56 to 49 or something like that Mm. i think last year i think real ones though let's just go ahead and say too at the top of the show don't watch alabama texas If, if you're a fan tune in at noon like tune in if you're a fan of one of those schools i would never discourage you from watching your team i just there are better games on at noon like arkansas south carolina is going to be a banger on espn at noon i think 
Kansas State, Mizzou is going to be a banger. They don't have that same kind of appeal nationally. Like, it doesn't pop for you. The, the From names. Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt's number one fan, you're telling them not to watch Big Noon Saturday? I think it's just going to be over in the first quarter. Matt, I can't. No, like, I just possible. don't. I don't think it's going to be a great game. I really don't. Um, I think Texas is three, do- three TD dog as of right now. Is that right? Uh, where are they at? I think it's 20 right now. Yeah, so three touchdown dog. I just <laughs> – I don't see it uh, on that one. But we'll get into that game as well. Um, one final thing from our old friend, Nigel the Nighthawk. Uh, I'm going to get a sound when we get the soundboard and everything kicked in with this. Uh, I'm going to get a Nighthawk. Caw-caw! Uh, here on the program. We need a, a Nigel song. Maybe I'll reach out to, to friends of our alma mater and see if they can send us a fight song sound for Mr. Nigel. But one final big, big news drop uh, today. Pat McAfee, who has the Pat McAfee show, former punter of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, current WWE SmackDown Live commentator on Friday nights, will not be doing that this fall. He's taking a leave to jump to college game day full time um he's had kirk herbstreet on a lot uh his show i'll see like clips of that and he's on a lot and you can tell that they're very cool um but you know there was a push back in the day like you know the mannings love him um that's part of it he's going to be on the manning cast uh on monday nights for espn uh for that i think a couple times this fall he is fun like McAfee is just energetic he is funny he is someone that draws you in he is genuinely excited about the product and he is someone that you want like he is exactly what Lee Corso is to game day just the jovial happy-go-lucky I mean just happy to be there and he's all about having a good time and if you were looking for the next Lee Corso we've talked about like which coach makes the most sense and people would throw Saban as like he wants to do media he's a natural fit but Saban doesn't have like the Lee Corso. I'm gonna put on whatever mascot's on. No. Like Saban's not doing that. Do you know who's doing that? It's Pat McAfee, the former West Virginia legend. Pat McAfee. I think this is a home run. I think this is really, really good for College Game Day. I think he's gonna be fun. I think the chemistry is there with him and Herbie and company. I think he's gonna make Reese Davis sweat a little bit um, and make him loosen up a little bit on the program. But I don't know, man. I think this is. Uh, a nice jolt and I would guess he's the long-term replacement if all goes well for Lee Corso and we get uh, Herbie and McAfee as the the two main uh, uh, duo I guess with Desmond Howard too um, with uh, with Reese Davis but what do you make of McAfee joining college game day full-time starting Saturday by the way yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Corso thing because that's exactly where uh, that was the first place my my mind went to this because for them to do it week two of the season, like with all due respect to Lee Corso legend, he like made college game day what it was. I think we all were watching college game day last week and like, come on, let's, uh, let's do this guy solid. Let's, let's let him be a part of this broadcast, but let's not, let's not put too much on his plate. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think definitely what you're right. Cause he's that, the college game, college game day and everything always has such energy. And Pat McAfee, obviously, we've seen him part of it before. So he feels like a perfect fit for just the whole vibe they're going for. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's an awesome move. 
he's gonna be fun he's gonna interact with the fans he's gonna act interact with college game day it also makes me feel a little bit better about like because this was a concern when espn is just all in on the sec right where <laughs> big 10 will not be on espn uh very soon so you're like oh where's game day gonna go are they only gonna are they gonna stay away from big 10 locations because they will not be broadcasting any of their games but the fact that it's herbie ohio state guy mcafee west virginia guy uh desmond howard desmond michigan howard, guy yeah i just i don't see it going that way i think this is enough to make me think i they're gonna go wherever the best games are i i don't think that's gonna be swayed with this group yeah and i hope not i think they, they've gone to enough uh games to this point that weren't necessarily the espn or abc telecast that night so mm. uh yeah i uh i trust they'll keep going to just trying to you know keep it fresh and not go to the same schools over and over but also want to go to the the most rowdy atmospheres they can absolutely absolutely uh matt green uh before we get into our picks for week two it is time for week two here on our preview series here on the full ride on the chase most podcast presented by blue wire pods would you like to remind the good folks where we stand heading into week two matt green on our picks yes sir it's a uh, a good start to the season for for chase thomas so mm. you so far you are eight four and two against the spread and 13 and one overall okay um and your boy over here is seven five and two against the spread just a game behind you against the mm-hmm. spread but eight and six overall and just picking winners so uh not not too hot of a start for the season for me so i'm hoping to bounce back here in uh in week two and also zeus is is zero and one with his uh slight slight loss with purdue last week but he's close zeus will bounce back zeus will bounce back um matt green where are we going first well first you hyped it up to be such a great game, you know, it's game of the week, college, uh, college game day site. Um, this is where college game day is, right? Yes. Yeah. And so there's a Fox game. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Right out of the gate. We got <clears throat> number one, Alabama going to Austin, Texas to play the Longhorns. And Texas is a 20 point dog. It's like, I want, I want this to be the home dog, right? I want, I want to believe that Texas is going to give Alabama a game. And I think they will give them a game for two quarters. I, I, cause I don't think this Alabama offense is quite as elite as they've been the last couple of years. I just, I think these, the level of receiver play is not just, just no doubt first round talent. Like it has been, um, and kind of the same for the backfield. Like, uh, obviously, Jameer Gibbs could have a, a huge season, but not that Derrick Henry, Najee Harris level we've kind of uh, become accustomed to with Alabama. So I feel like I just don't think this is an immortal type of Alabama team that's going to be up 28-0 first quarter, game over. But I feel like just Quinn Ewers, for, uh, first or well, second start of his entire career coming against Alabama, like that's – I just have a feeling Nick Saban is going to give him a lot of things he's never seen before. And this this Alabama team, I, I just have a feeling it's going to get ugly in the second half. So I think they might can play with them for a quarter or two, but but I like Alabama to win pretty big. Take Alabama and the points. Interesting. I um I agree 
Uh, right out of the gate here, I think Alabama wins and covers. Uh, the score for me that feels the closest is Alabama 49, Texas 17. Um, I think this is blowout city where it might be the first quarter. Um, they're in it. B. John Robinson and Xavier Worthy, they pull off some big stuff, maybe some explosive plays a little bit early. But they do have some playmakers. They do. But they don't have an answer for Dallas Turner and uh, Will Anderson on the edge. I don't trust Texas's offensive line to protect Quinn enough in this one. I also just don't think Texas's defense is there yet. Um, this is going to be a problem because Alabama, true or false, Matt Green, they won 55 to nothing against the team that won the Mountain West Conference last season. Good, good team coached by uh, one of the one of the league's best in uh, Blake Anderson. Is that are they better than Texas? Like, are they better than a mid-Big 12 team? Well, to be clear, to be fair, rather, Texas did lose to Kansas last year. This is a Texas <laughs> team that is not even a year removed from losing to the Kansas Jayhawks. No, that's home. fair. I don't know what, what Utah State returns from, from a conference champion from a year ago, but I obviously don't know much about uh, the, the Aggies of Utah State, but other than their mascot. But... um. But they were, like, you don't have to know enough it's to know re- that, like, hey, they won the Mountain West, good conference last year. They were treated like they were uh, North Dakota State Central against Alabama. It's and, a respectable cupcake, I, I right. would say, yeah. 55 nothing is preposterous. And then when you dive a little bit deeper and you see Bama didn't even score in the fourth. Like, if Bama wanted to beat Utah State 90 to nothing, I think that's a that was in play last week. This bam. I mean, that's that's probably true, but I just I don't feel like you can even learn that much from games like that. Like, yeah, Alabama. Like, you, there's so many teams that are superior, just talent level to Utah State. Like, I think, you know, LSU probably would have beaten the brakes off of Utah State. Like, I, I think there's just a lot of, you know, SEC teams that would just beat an inferior level of talent like that. But I mean, not to take anything away from Alabama, they're obviously a, a great team. I just I don't know how much you can really how many conclusions you can really draw from just murdering a Mountain West team, you know. That's fair. That's fair. Um, all that being said, this is still just feels like to me a Alabama blowout here, and I think Texas is just it's just not there. Is Arch going to be in the building for this one? You don't want Arch there. You don't want any big recruits if you're Texas. For oh, this dude, one. you know it. You know this has got to be the biggest recruiting weekend of the entire season, like. Other than the fact that it's a noon kickoff, that's not. Although I th- I've heard for recruiting visits that can kind of be better because you got the game hmm. early and then you got the whole rest of the day to to wine and dine them, if you will. But if your team loses forty nine to ten, I don't know if it's uh if it's the best experience the rest of the day. Who knows? But uh, you know it's going to be a great atmosphere for at least uh at least f- fifteen minutes or so. For sure, for sure. But um, Alabama, the- we'll lock it in. I just I don't want I want this to be a good game, but I uh, I don't know. Texas last week gave up four point zero five yards per play, um, and not not the best. Good for around fortieth, uh, I think, and and uh, per CFB stats right now. So not the best there. I think you can you can do stuff against this Texas defense, and I think Bama's going to have their way. All Where right. are we going next, Matt Green? Uh, next one we got the South Carolina Gamecocks going to Arkansas. And Arkansas is an eight and a half point home favorite, and um, I went, I went back and forth on this one for a while, just because 
I really like Arkansas this year, mm. but I don't feel like they're going to win a lot of games big. I feel like I see Arkansas maybe going nine and three, maybe even like ten and two or something, but winning a lot of games by four, by seven, like just you know, they just seem like a, a the kind of team that's not going to blow a lot of people out, right? And I don't want to overreact to the to South Carolina Georgia State last week. Like it was thirty five fourteen. But the, the two block punts for, for touchdowns, like the South Carolina offense did not look good, and Spencer Rattler did not look good. And more importantly, they, they gave up 40 carries for 200 yards on the ground. And you know Arkansas is going to pound it with a running quarterback as well as part of that rushing attack. And that's exactly what they're getting with Arkansas and K.J. Jefferson. So I feel like that's just – a better version, a much better version of what Georgia State was bringing to the table. So, all due respect to the Thurs. Um, but so I, I, I started to take Arkansas to win, but but uh, not to cover. But the more I think about it, I just I don't feel like they can they can hang with Arkansas's physicality for four quarters. So I'm going to take Arkansas and the points. We agree again. I'm taking Arkansas on the points. I think they win bigger than people expect in this one. Uh, maybe like a 31-13 type game, something mm. around there. South Carolina, the offensive line stinks. Like that's going to be a problem all year. We we saw that with the Thurs. They were able to uh, have their way there and really push uh, South Carolina around a little bit. And Spencer Rattler, it turns out, is still just not an elite college quarterback uh he is ninth uh, south carolina through uh the first week 94th in uh, yards per attempt uh right there around ball state who uh got blown out by uh the tennessee volunteers on opening weekend uh indiana's right there you got some buffalo some georgia tech action uh some yukon right around there it's not where you want to be uh right out of the gate if you're you're the gamecocks i just south carolina i'm just glad that these games are happening now because the south carolina kentucky stuff all off season <laughs> i i am just glad the regular season's here for this because it needed to end it need the the optimism the the, the talking the, season the talking season man look love love the fans nothing in south carolina fans nothing against kentucky fans i just had my doubts i had my doubts about both programs especially south carolina going into this year and i think this is the first uh, come to Jesus moment for uh, the Shane Beamer and Spencer Rattler era here in year two, where Arkansas is a really, really good program. They're elite on both sides of the ball. I think this is a just a solid top 15 program. They're not one of the best in the country, but they're just solid everywhere. I just, they are a complete football team that just doesn't quite have the talent to be an Alabama type but they're that next tier. They're the perfect tier two SEC team. And I just, I don't think they're going to lose a game like this. I think they're just too competent. And I think they're going to uh, bully um, South Carolina in a similar way. I think they're going to be able to get after and get home at Spencer Rattler and make him very uncomfortable, especially at home. I think Arkansas wins and covers pretty comfortably in this one. All right, put it on the board, and it's a uh, a, a rivalry rejuvenation of some sorts. The mm. the last two teams to join the SEC back in '92, they were their locked uh, East and West rivals up until uh, 2014 when we uh, switched it up with with Missouri and A and M. 
But now A&M is locked with South Carolina and Missouri with Arkansas. But um, so good to see these two teams play again. Um, I feel like they always had some good games in the in the Houston Nut Spurrier uh, era there with McFadden. I remember McFadden having one just ridiculous game against South Carolina where he's where he was playing Wildcat quarterback, just taking over. McFadden, one of the more underrated players of uh, the generation. I feel like he's an all time great in my book. I would be um, there for it. And this is also the debut of the Cock Commander. That's not his name, right? <laughs> no, they what called is, him. Is it Mr. Sp- what do they call him? It's like, uh, not what Spur, was his original S. name? The uh, Spur. Is uh, it General Spur or something like that? Something Spur. Big Spur? Big Spur, I think. That sounds right. I think it was the Big Spur. So I'm not even sure what, what the name they, they settled on was. It's but, a new um, name. It's not the Cock Commander. No, uh, it's so. not the Cock Commander. <laughs> even though that's what the people wanted. I guess democracy is dying, you know. It's Sir Big Spur was the original. The that's General like, is his new name. I wonder if that's for the Panthers, what they were going for, if they were inspired. Because he's Sir Purr. Oh, well, there's also, I think Because you've seen what... that Robbie Anderson video, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's mic'd up. He's Sir Purr. That's what you, he's like, what's that bear doing? He's like, it's not a bear. It's the panther. He's like, Sir Purr. That's what you call him? You call him that? <laughs> oh, that video was hilarious. It's an all-timer. I have not seen that one in a long time, but that is a good one. Go check that out, folks. Robbie Anderson, Sir Purr. It's a good one. Um, but I distracted you. Where are we going next, Matt Green? Um, <clears throat> we're going uh, to Pittsburgh. Mm. For the for your Tennessee Vols, going on the road, and Pitt is a six and a half point home dog. Don't and you I thought do it. about it, sir? Don't I you thought do about going the home dog here? This game feels. I feel like this game is going to be just like the Pittsburgh West Virginia game. Honestly, I feel like it's going to be just an exciting atmosphere. It might be tied with three, four minutes to go, just like West Virginia Pittsburgh was. Mm. But I think Hendon Hooker and the gang and <clears throat> Cedric Tillman, that's his name? That is his name. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't positive about the first name. I don't think he's going to drop the easy pass that the JT Daniels receiver dropped. And Tennessee leads that last second drive, and they, mm. they win by a touchdown late. So I think this is going to be an amazing game. But um, I think Tennessee is going to have too much offense for Pitt in the end. So give me Tennessee go on the road oh, man I do feel like they're gonna win the, the six and a half is what throws me off but I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick Tennessee not one of my more confident ones but I do not like confident them. in terms of the six and a half I just feel like this game's gonna be a great game I think Pittsburgh I was really impressed with how they got so much pressure on JT Daniels in the first game I think uh, I don't know <clears throat> how improved this Tennessee defense is and I think that's a big question but um and just that atmosphere. I feel like I was I was questioning the Heinz Field, whatever they call it now, atmosphere, until last week. I'm a believer now. Like after watching that West Virginia game, maybe they just got that hype for the uh, for the backyard brawl. But um, it feels like Pitt has has turned a leaf uh, and became has become like one of the more respectable programs in the ACC. So I think they're gonna be they're gonna be ready for that SEC bragging rights coming to town interesting i um i don't see it that way i see this being a blowout i've landed Mm. on i think tennessee blows uh pittsburgh out the building 
And part of that is, and it will come back where like Pitt will score some some points late because Tennessee's defense will be on the field a lot because uh, the offense is going to score. Um, I don't think Pitt is going to play well from behind this year. You look at last year where their passing offense was um, number eight in the country last year in yards per game through the air. They were uh, throwing the ball like 8.7 yards per attempt, 44 touchdowns, eight picks. Like this was a high octane Kenny Pickett, Mark Whipple special where they were not trying to run the ball. Pat Narduzzi wants to run the ball, right? You look at what they did last week. Something I noticed, you were talking about how uh, it was close. One of the difference though, they still ran the ball. Pitt ran the ball a bunch in this game. They ran the ball 38 times for 76 yards, averaging two yards a carry. Three TDs total on the ground for Pitt. They tried, and they didn't run the ball. They're going to try and run the ball against Tennessee. They're going to try and play a game of possession and try and beat Tennessee in a very different way than the way they in which they upset uh, the Vols in Knoxville last year. There's no Joe Milton starting the game like was the case last year. I think Tennessee's better. I think they're deeper. I think this offense is just going to torch the Panthers early and Narduzzi's just going to be too stubborn to throw, 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 and to just try and match what Tennessee's going to bring to the table. I mean, Brew McCoy being in there for Javante Baden is big. I think Jalen Hyatt showed a lot of stuff last week. Cedric Tilden's going to be targeted a bunch. Um, we'll see how Gerald Mincy does the left tackle spot. Um, him and Jeremiah Crawford will probably both get uh, looks there, but I, I just, my gut tells me Tennessee 45, Pitt 24. That's, that's what my gut tells me. I think Pitt uh, maybe scores a little bit more late, but I don't think this game's ever in doubt after the first quarter. Mm, see, I, I feel like we don't agree. I almost want to pick Pitt to, <laughs> to, to cover because I feel like we don't agree on how this game's going to go, so it doesn't do it justice for us to have the exact same pick here. Mm. But I don't know. See, that's the thing about playing behind. It's like Tennessee has to have a good enough defense to make people play behind. And do we know that Tennessee's defense is, is that improved this year? It's better. I mean, Barron and Young are legit on the edge now. They have more options at defensive tackle. Um, Joshua Josephs is a true freshman that um, that you're going to know about very early on. Like, he played a lot, and he was one of the highest pay, uh, highest uh, graded PFF uh, players for Tennessee on this defense um, last week. Uh, he is He's a player. Um, so just keep that in mind. Jonathan Josephs uh, for Tennessee. He is um, – He's going to be a good player. Uh, it's it's going to be fun. Uh, I'm very excited to see what uh, Joseph does for Tennessee. Pierce, it was going to be the question of, like, was it going to be Joseph's or was it going to be Pierce uh, for Tennessee? And it is uh, – it's going to be Joseph. So he's going to be – Tennessee is – the offensive linemen are coming in, um, and guys like Joshua Joseph and company are going to be quite good uh, for the ball. So I'm not as concerned. Christian Kamal Haddon. But I'm talking about the defense. Though. Well, that's what this I'm saying. Was the 99th ranked scoring defense in the country last season, though. So they they do have a long way to go. You don't necessarily have to have a good offense to be able to score on a on a mediocre defense, you know. So it's kind of like what we saw with that the Great Wake Forest Army game, right? Mm -hmm. If neither team is playing defense, okay, you can go down and score every two minutes. 
we're just going to be over here taking eight minutes to score, and then you can come back and score in two minutes again. We're just going to take eight more minutes to score. So I, I, I don't think Pittsburgh is going to have – I definitely don't think they have as good of an offense as Tennessee, but I, since they're not having to play Tennessee's offense, they're playing Tennessee's defense, I think I could see this game going back and forth. Just that, And that's why I feel like it's going to go like the West Virginia game and I, I feel like it just it could be the exact same score too, but Tennessee comes out on top, thirty eight, thirty one. That's kind of how I see this this game going. We'll see. I'm I'm gonna stick to my guns and say the balls. Like I'm much more concerned about the Florida game and uh, week four than I am the Pitt game at this point. Chase Thomas, not concerned of the Pitt Panthers. Bulletin board material. Put it up right now. I don't want to eat these words on Sunday. Let's hope that's not the case. Um. Keeping it, uh, keeping it moving. FS1 on this one. We got Houston at Texas Tech at four o'clock. Texas Tech is a three-point favorite at home. Mm. They're without Tyler Shuck. Is that am I pronouncing that right? Yes, that is Tyler uh, Shuck. Quarterback for two weeks, and I think that's a. Bit, I'm surprised the, the the line hasn't moved since that news. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Houston. I don't know if this is an overreaction to the UTSA having to go to overtime with with them, or if it's just you know an America a group of five team going on the road to a power five school. I was a little surprised to see Texas Tech uh, favored in this one, but I think UTSA could be one of the one of the best teams Houston plays all season, and so I think without Tyler Shuck, I like uh, I like Houston to go on the road and get the win at Texas Tech. Yeah, I think Houston doesn't have these two back-to-back crazy ones where they're fighting for their lives. And I also think UTSA is a better team right now than Texas Tech. I think I think it's uh, very possible, yeah. Like, UTSA might just have a top-10 offense in college football this year. Like, UTSA is uh, greatly coached. Uh, they're a pain-in-the-butt group of five schools, so I don't think there's any shame in uh, falling behind the way they did and having to struggle and fight back. But uh, we'll say a weird way to start the the season if you're Houston uh, with UTSA and Texas Tech right out of the gate here. But um, I just claim through. I think this will be a much more manageable game, and I actually think they'll be in control. And losing Shuck uh, is a blow for uh, the Red Raiders. I just I don't see a way in which a team that I think is very much in the conversation to go 12 and 0 this year uh, falls uh, in Lubbock. And game number two for Joey McGuire and his Red Raiders. So give me. Uh, Houston to win and cover. Oh man, haven't disagreed so far, man. What's going on here? What if I just um, did this whole thing, this uh, where I always agreed with you for the rest of the year, <laughs> just to make sure that I win? Just sat on the lead. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's funny. Uh, you you would do something. I would put that past you. Um, okay, keeping it moving at four o'clock on the Big Ten Network. We got Iowa State at Iowa, mm. and Iowa's a three and a half point home favorite in this one even though they might not score three and a half points in this game um what are your thoughts on this game this is funny to me because it's like nothing about this game should point you in the direction of iowa right like we spent a lot of time uh on the sunday show talking about how repulsive this iowa team is right now right Iowa just does this every year last year. Look at what should have happened last year. I mean, do you remember, like, there was so much hype. Brees Hall, Brock Purdy. This was Iowa State's year, all this talent, the last ride for this group. They were, uh, a lot of folks were like, they can win the Big 12. Like, we're excited to see how they compete with Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley. That game was just 
dumb. That was just such a dumb game where Purdy implodes, pick City. Um, did he get pulled or injured in that one? I know he didn't play the whole game. Um, I forgot what the circumstance was there. But for whatever reason, Iowa and Iowa State, Iowa just has their number. Whatever the Cyclones are before they play Iowa is not who they are when they play the Hawkeyes. And I'm going to hate it. I'm going to hate the Hawkeyes are 2-0. and I'm going to hate that they find a way to win this game and to beat not only beat and cover against the Iowa State Cyclones this is just bad and I'm annoyed at this whole situation the 126th ranked offense is going to win this football game and they're going to win it handily the defense is legit Jack Campbell is an absolute menace um but yeah I just I, I don't see until Iowa State like gets over the mental hurdle of beating Iowa I can't do it I think uh I think Iowa wins here and they cover and it's going to be as ugly as ever. I I'm going to I'm going to hate this. Matt Green. Yeah, man, I hate to do it, but uh we're we're going to agree on this one as well. Mm. 6 straight wins for Iowa in this series and in that in those that's those 6 straight, the mm. Iowa has won the turnover battle 10 to 1. And in the last 5 uh, they haven't turned the ball over in the last five matchups in, the, in this series. So it hmm. feels like Iowa just is not going to beat themselves. And kind of like you were alluding to, last year felt like the year for Iowa State. So it's like if, if that team's not going to beat Iowa, like they're, they're probably not going to get it done. So mm-hmm. I got to – and uh, they're also at home, so I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes as well. Matt Green, trivia time. What is one thing that the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Georgia Bulldogs defense shares uh, through week one of the college football season? Um, they, they both allowed three points. That's correct. People <laughs> are saying uh, the Georgia of the North, the Georgia of the North, they just need to hire their Todd Monken. That's all they need. Just trying to just trying to make this happen. No one, no one's calling Iowa the Georgia of the North. The sleeping Georgia Bulldogs. Wisconsin of the North. is way closer than than Iowa. I would say. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Wisconsin, the number one ranked defense last year. It's true. Jim Leonard Over does the a full good job. Season and they they just Georgia may have been had their offensive woes. They've never been as bad. Their worst years haven't been as bad as as Iowa is just consistently year in and year out. I don't know. That Brian Schottenheimer year was pretty bad. The Grayson Lambert year was not. Well, especially. I'll say under Kirby. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we going next, Matt Green? Um, keeping it moving. What I think is probably the most interesting game, Pitt, Tennessee is, is up there for one of the ones I'm most interested to watch. But probably the one I'm most interested to watch all weekend is Kentucky at Florida. Mm. Florida is a four-and-a-half-point home favorite, and I really would like to see what this – spread was like five days ago hmm. like I, I have a feeling kentucky was probably favored uh if, you, if we looked at this game last week but i don't know there's something about getting that first win over utah at home i just think that's massive for this program i think it just increases the confidence level of the entire program and we know about the suspension of chris rodriguez um interestingly enough the team that has won the rushing battle in this matchup the last three seasons has lost each time. Huh. So not what you might think uh, with two teams that like to run the football, but um, hmm. not including 2018, of course, because 
Kentucky ran all over Florida with Benny Snell and that team mm-hmm. that, that came down to the swamp and won. Um, I want to maybe it was the swamp, but regardless, um, Florida's a four and a half point favorite. I definitely, when we were going through our preseason win loss, I was counting this as a loss for Florida. But now, after that win over Utah, I'm feeling a little differently because I feel like Cam Rising is better, a better version of Will Levis, personally. Like, and hmm. maybe he's a better pro prospect and maybe has the tools, but at the college level, I've been more impressed by Cam Rising's passing and playmaking ability, and that's essentially what Will Levis is supposed to be. So mm-hmm. putting the way Florida played Rising last week, he really didn't look all that all that great against this Florida defense. And so I, I just I think Florida's gonna gonna get it done and and go to two and zero. I would not have thought that. Uh, I was would say that two weeks ago. Well, now you've got me a little shook. Matt Green, because Kentucky ran the ball 26 times for 50 yards against the Red Hawks last week, averaging less than two yards a carry going into this one. And Florida, as we know, ran all over uh, the uh, Utah Utes, where they averaged 7.62 or 26 yards per carry, um, 39 carries, 283 yards total. I mean, that puts them in the top 10 in uh, yards uh, on the ground per. Her, you would think uh, it would be a good thing to win the rushing battle. It that's what you've got me. The last three. You've got me shook a little bit. Do you know who actually leads uh, yards per carry right now in college football? Um, is it the Vanderbilt quarterback? It is not. Uh, I'm just talking about university as a whole. Who's who's number one right now in yards per attempt on the ground? For who? Uh, just all FBS. Who's number one? Uh, Which university? Anth- oh, Florida. Florida's not. Good guess. Vanderbilt was also a good guess. They're number six right now. No, it is the Kansas Jayhawks who are averaging (laughs) 9.9 yards per attempt on the ground, Matt Green. Who knew? Lance Leipold, man. Next Nebraska coach doing work down there in in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm going back and forth. Stay focused here, sir. (laughs) Well, it's just part of, like, the running aspect of this has me wondering, like, what if this is an implosion game? Richardson flashed a lot def- on the ground. He flashed a lot with his improv. Um, and it was interesting to hear um, Dan Patrick on the sh- on his show this week compare Anthony Richardson to Ben Roethlisberger, was a name he had heard about him in uh, NFL circles. And I had not considered that. But when you watch him, like you don't like the Cam Newton comparisons. It drives you. It, it grinds your gears, Matt Green. The, yeah, it's like comparing. A, oh, this guy's six eight, six nine with guard skills. He's gonna be the next LeBron. <laughs> it's like no. Let's just let's just pump the brakes. There's a there's a a lot more comparisons we could make before LeBron or or Cam Newton. I don't I don't know. I can't think of it off the top of my head. He made KJ Jefferson. He's yeah. He's like a KJ Jefferson type. <laughs> you don't have to, we don't have to jump all the way to Cam Newton. Yeah. Well, Ben Roethlisberger interesting one where he's just big like Richardson just kind of he's and I think a lot of it stems from he's really hard to bring down and that was something you when you watch the Utah game he is going to be a pain in the butt to bring down uh by defenders but he's just so athletic yeah it's I, I feel like he's hard to tackle Roethlisberger may have been a, a slightly athletic athlete in college but we never saw that at all in the nfl i think richardson is just a vastly superior athlete for sure but i think it was just more about like the 
arm was a question mark where he moved around a lot in the pocket. He ran a little bit. He was also impossible to sack. Like it was that kind of thing where they weren't sure how it was going to translate. Great arm, talent. Like he could throw the ball a mile, but was it going to translate um, into a modern NFL offense and that sort of thing? And Richardson flashed. They ran all over Utah. I think Kentucky's got a better defense. I think Kentucky is going to keep this a lot closer. I don't think you're going to have those same mistakes inside the goal line, the one yard line out. Like they're going to run the ball in. Like I think Kentucky will figure out a way. They're not going to make those same kind of mistakes and get cute there. I think this will be close, but I still, I feel like I'm going to hate myself for picking Florida here to go two and O with a new coach with Billy Napier and that we might see what happened with Florida state last week with LSU, right? Where Brian Kelly, I think people are now way too over the top of like, oh, he's Chad Morris of LSU, or this is <laughs> not going to go well. This bet, like he goes at it back and forth with the reporter uh, this week over being late to the press conference. Like a lot of weird stuff going on in Baton Rouge right now. But let, let's breathe for a second. It's it's week one. Like let's let's breathe on this one. But it's hard. These coaches in year one, you go up and down. You win some crazy ones and you lose some really dumb ones. And I just wonder if with Billy Napier, you got the Utah win, great. But it's asking a lot when you're at this much turnover, new staff, new everything, that you win two games back-to-back with them both being at home, which is important, against two really good ranked teams who both two teams that could be double-digit win season teams this year. I think that's asking a lot. I'm going to... I'm going to do this, Matt Green. You went Florida, right, and took the points? I did. I'm going to go Kentucky here. I think Kentucky wins this game outright. I I don't think Florida does it back-to-back weeks. I don't think they're there consistency-wise. I, I think they're going to drop it. Yeah, and that's a good point. I, I think the Chris Rodriguez uh, suspension was what kind of tipped the scales for me. I just... Mm. I do think this is going to be a really close game. And I'm surprised I'm picking Florida uh, with how I kind of felt about them coming into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still – and, like, we don't want to overreact to one game. Like, Anthony Richardson, he still does need to improve as a passer. And maybe Kentucky, you know, does some things to, to force him to beat him beat them with his arm. I think that's how you're going to have to, have to play them. Um, but moving forward, uh, we got Arizona State at Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma mm. State's an 11-point favorite at home, which is a big number. I have no idea what to expect from this Arizona State team this year. Like, Emory Jones, is he is he bad, or is he just not good enough to play in the SEC? Like, maybe he is a good player. Like, we saw them dismantle a cupcake last week. Like, I'm not sure what we really learned from that game, so... Oklahoma State, while they did just get absolutely torched uh, defensively by Central Michigan, we did see Spencer Sanders throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. So, you know, that that's also a positive. So I just don't – I'm not crazy about this Arizona State team. And so I think 11 points seems a little high to me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Oklahoma State to, to get it done uh, at home. Give me the Oklahoma State and the points. That defense looks bad. I think the Oklahoma State defense is going to be bad. Um, that being said, they should still beat Emory Jones in this group. Like, uh, they did not pass the ball a bunch. Uh, they ran the ball really well last week, and I think that will probably be their identity uh, with Emory and company is they'll be able to run the ball pretty well uh, out there in Tempe. But I think you're going to have to score a lot. I think this is going to be a shootout, and he's going to have to pass. 
and I just I don't see that working out all that well. That being said, I think this is going to be one of those dumb games where we're seeing on the 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 score line as we're watching something else where it's like up oh, Arizona State scored again. Up oh, Oklahoma State did something like Oklahoma State gave up a touchdown again within 35 seconds on something dumb and now it's 45-42 with 8 minutes to go in the fourth. Like I could see that being the way this game goes. That being said, I think Oklahoma State still survives and God bless the Oklahoma State Cowboys going back to their going back to their roots. The Oklahoma State Cowboys that you and I grew up with. No defense, all gas, no breaks. <laughs> Always in every game because you can't count on the defense. Give Derek Mason a lifetime contract there. This is the Oklahoma State that I want. It's the Oklahoma State that I need. Give me the Cowboys to win, but not cover. All right. Win, not cover. Mm-hmm. Um, let me write that down. And then um, our 7.30 ABC game. This is what I was kind of talking about. Mm. Kind of a weak slate this week. USC at Stanford. Stanford's a nine-point home dog here. Are you going to do it? Is this where Zeus locks in? I just couldn't do it, man. Like, I just (laughs) – Stanford was just awful last year. Like, I just – I obviously, it's a new year, but I just – I, I couldn't do it. I got I to gotta go with USC to get – like, they lost seven straight games in the season. Obviously, they did beat USC. Somehow they beat Oregon as well. But they did beat USC even though they were that terrible. But this is a new-look USC this year. Like, Caleb Williams alone is, is enough for, for the nine-point uh, line. So, uh, yeah, give me USC to go on the road at Stanford and uh, win with and cover. Interesting. Tanner McKee, uh, first round potential quarterback. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this one for NFL scouts to watch how Caleb Williams and Tanner McKee go next, at it. Next, Davis Mills. Hey, Davis Mills is a player, man. And he was the number one recruit in his class. Like, even though David Shaw is not recruiting the same way he did, and Stanford's been uh, just really suffering on that front, on the recruiting front in uh, the last few years. Like he's still he's still getting the quarterbacks he's still getting the quarterbacks in the building, um, with Tanner McKee being another high profile uh, kid, older kid. Um, that being said, I don't see Stanford stopping Lincoln Riley in this group. I think this is a recipe for disaster. Um, that being said, if you seem to recall, the Ducks feeling all kind of mighty, high and mighty, on that old nasty broadcast feed that we watched Stanford and Oregon in last year. In Stanford, if you remember, man, the Cardinal took down the Ducks, who were just feeling all great. After what, what year is this? Last year. They beat the Ducks last oh, year. Oh, you're talking last year. Okay. But the if you remember the video feed, like ABC, there was something weird about the, the TV gotcha. presentation. Do you remember that it looked super old? It wasn't HD. It was just oh, super old. Yeah, that's where I wasn't following you. I, didn't, I don't remember that. Yeah, you just go back, like, after this. Go look at Oregon Stanford Highlights 2021 and then look at the film, and you're like, wait, what? What year was this shot at? <laughs> um, but that was how it was on the broadcast feed. Tanner McKee and the Cardinal, they survive late and knock off Oregon, who were riding a high after beating Ohio State. Like, we were like, oh, Oregon's going to be in the college football playoff. Like, they're college football playoff, one of the four. Stanford ruined it. Ruined it Not for everybody. so fast, my friend. They love nothing more. They're just the spoilers. We were wondering if they could be the Notre Dame of the West. Could they be the Notre Dame of the West? They're not. They're what a bad person. What does that per- mean exactly? 
like just competence, strong defense, solid quarterback play, solid academics, solid academics. Like go nine and three, eight and four most years. May have a great year, ten and two, eleven. Notre Dame's been in the playoff. Yeah, twice. You know what we need to do? I I figured out what we need to do. Here's what we do: we combine them. And we send the quarterbacks who keep going to Stanford, the five-star kids, we send them to Notre Dame. Like, we just get rid of Tyler Buckner, and Tanner McKee is the quarterback for Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a playoff team, like, with Tanner McKee in that group. Like, that is a game change for them. You put Davis Mills in for Ian Book, the dogs go down, my friend. You talk about not so much. Andrew Luck on that Manti Teo team. Now now we're talking. That's what I'm saying. They only lose to Alabama by three touchdowns. (laughs) Hey, I don't know. That'd be cool, but that's maybe that's the key. We just solved the Stanford Notre Dame problem there in the college football playoff. Um, all that being said, I think uh, USC uh, gives up a lot of points in this one. I still think the defense was a little. Uh, people are talking themselves a little bit too much, and I'm still not a big Alex Grinch guy on that side of things. So give me Stanford the points, but uh, USC to win. So I think Stanford covers. All right. Put it on the board. <clears throat> um, this one, we decided to put a little, uh, little dumpster dive here on the mm. on the pick. Um, Boston <laughs> College at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, a three point home dog. And I don't want to butcher the stat that I heard on Cover Three, which they also got from some Twitter user. So whoever you. Mm. Whoever said it, great, great call on the stat. But it was something along the lines of teams that were a road favorite in week one but lost and then were a home favorite the following week were 1-14-1 against the spread. So over however many last 16 times that's happened, I guess. I don't know how many years that goes back. But... So take that stat for what it's worth. That's the position that Virginia Tech's in right now. Uh, Lost last week on the road at Old Dominion. I just think Old Dominion has to be a significantly worse. As much as we disrespect Rutgers, Old Dominion is significantly worse than Rutgers, right? Like we should, we can agree, at least they should be. So in my mind, Boston College losing to Rutgers is not as bad as uh, Virginia Tech losing to, to Old Dominion and Boston College, their offense still, you know, they, uh, Dracovic and Zay Flowers still made some plays. So I just think they have more playmakers. And this Virginia Tech team just looks really bad. So I'm going to go Boston College, go on the road, Lane Stadium, and uh, win outright. Back to back losses for Brett Pry in his opener. We're going to disagree, my friend. I think Virginia Tech not only wins, I think they cover. I think BC might be bad. And VT, though, VT, like you got Old Dominion, just throw that out the window. Because BC, or uh, the Hokies in 1995, Matt Green, they lose to Boston College 20-14. to They don't lose another Big East game that particular year, sir. <laughs> so where are we going? What is this? What is the relevance here? We're just saying, you lose that Old Dominion <laughs> game early. Like, that was dumb. And then the way Brent Pry talked about BC was just like, oh, they're they're fine. Like, he said, quote, they don't do a lot defensively, but they do it well. I think they're a well-coached brunch, uh, bunch. 
they're a couple years into this thing and they've got a good handle on what they're doing defensively. That's the most like they're just they're fine. They're solid. They're well coached. They they're really scrappy. The Boston College Eagles. They're a scrappy bunch. Jeff Hapley does a good job. Good coach and uh, boss coach. It's a, it's a tough job. Lose their coordinator. I do like Jeff Hapley. Yeah, he's good. I think this offense might stink. I think Phil Dracovic, This might just be a problem. Zay Flowers uh, coming back might have been a mistake um, in Boston College. I think they bounce back. Grant Wells. My guy from Marshall bounces back here as QB1 in uh, Hokie territory. So give me the Hokies to win and cover, my friend. All right. Put it on the board. And then um, our nightcap to kick it things off. We got future Big 12 rivalry here. Mm. Baylor going to Provo. Wait. Yeah. Provo. To play BYU, BYU is a three and a half point home favorite in this one, and uh, well, you know it gets rowdy in BYU. Mm. But I like this Baylor team. I like uh, I like um, what Shapen does. Uh, Blake mm. Shapen when he came on last year, just I like the way this offense looks, and so I. This early in the year, I, I still don't know what either of these teams are necessarily, but uh, I'm going to take Baylor to go on. I'm taking a lot of road teams. I'm nervous mm. about that. Could be a bad week for me. We'll see. But uh, I'm going to take Baylor to go on the road, get it done. It's interesting. Baylor is, I think, a, they're the quiet elite team at everything. So right now, they're 10th in yards per attempt on through, uh, through the air uh, to this point. They are 18th in the country in rushing offense, yards per uh, carry on the ground. You just go through it on defense. Um, I had that in front of me. They're also a top 10 scoring defense. Like they just look great all around. Like uh, Jeff Grimes, also very familiar uh, with BYU. Remember, he came over from BYU uh, to be the new OC last year for Dave Rand after he moved on from Larry Fedora. Remember, Jeff Grimes was the OC with Kalani Sataki uh, for the Zach Wilson years um in in byu he knows the program he knows what kalani is going to end up doing i'm going to join you i think baylor actually wins comfortably here i think baylor goes in the road in a hostile territory it's going to be a fun game late but give me the bears to win and cover uh on the road all right put it on the board um and then our last one we uh we got mississippi state Going out west for their first ever matchup with the Arizona Wildcats. And the Wildcats are a ten and a half point, you guessed it, sir, home dog. And this is our home dog of the week. Mm. I actually low-key like Mississippi State this year. Um, I think they could be one of those chaos teams like you've talked about. Um, that's gonna, they're going to ruin some team seasons. They're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to get multiple big wins, but there's something weird about Mike Leach teams about bringing it every week, traveling all the way to the West coast, 11 o'clock time. Like it's just a weird game for an sec team to play. I ultimately think Mississippi state's going to come out of here with a win, but, um, I'm going to take, and you know, we know how I feel about year two coaches, right? We got Jed Fish in year two. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we see some improvement from Arizona, but also this is just a weird game. And so I think Mississippi State gets the win, but uh, I'm going to take Arizona to cover. 
So you're going Mississippi State to win, though? Yeah. Okay. Jaden Delora looked really good. Four TDs, one pick last week. Uh, I think he was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. Um, I think there's a path. You ready for this? Max Brown, former USC and pick quarterback, said uh, last week, quote, Jaden Delora played like the best quarterback in the Pac-12 yesterday. Jaden Delora versus Will Rogers this week. And Jaden Jacob Cowing, who might also be the best receiver in the Pac-12 this season. Arizona still can't run the ball. Jed Fish has got something cooking in, uh, in Tucson. Arizona State falling apart, going down the tube. The Wildcats rising in a very wide open Pac-12. Like, I'm not saying they're going to win the Pac-12 this year. I am saying they're recruiting really well. I don't know if you've looked at this past recruiting class for Arizona. One of the best. I think it might have been the best they've ever had, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Jed Fish putting on a clinic, man. Teddy Bruschi in the NIL club down there in, uh, in Wildcat country doing a little bit of work. I think that I'm buying, I'm buying this Arizona Wildcat stock. I'm buying where they're going as a program. I'm buying that Mike Leach, who loves to lose one of these dumb games early on in the season where he can't help it. Memphis and Arizona is just too much. And Arizona on the road, traveling across the country for this one, playing in that. Like, this is going to be a quarterback clinic. I can't wait to watch Will Rogers versus Jane Delora. I think this will be close. But because they're dogs, we're agreeing, Macarena. But the difference is I am giving the Cats the love outright. I think they get their first signature win in the Jed Fish era. They beat an SEC team. Mississippi State goes down in a barn burner in Tucson. While the SEC sleeps, the Pac-12 eats, my friend. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great line right there. I didn't have the, I didn't have the courage to, to pick the upset. I feel mm. like this is going to be a close one, but I think Mississippi State pulls it out. Closer than the experts think for another uh, Lee Corso uh, one-liner in there. I just... He does this, man. Like, they got, I don't know. You look at this, and I'm pulling up last year, where they barely get away from Louisiana Tech, 35-34. They lose on the road at Memphis. The week before, they stun NC State. Remember, they beat a really good NC State team, 24-10. They follow that up with immediately falling on their face at Memphis. This is what I'm saying. Like, I feel it. In my bones, Matt Green, that they're going to do this dumb thing and lose this game on the road uh, in Arizona. It's just my gut, man. I will say they haven't they haven't had a good win yet. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, oh, maybe Memphis was kind of a good win. I don't know if uh, mm. how you classify it. So then now now is the the letdown following the big <laughs> the big revenge win over Memphis last week. So. I don't know, but I think, yeah, we feel the same way about, I don't know, just something about, it doesn't feel like Mississippi State's going to necessarily show up completely for for that West Coast game. We'll see. We shall see, but um, I don't know. 1 1 a.m. local start for for your body on Mississippi time? That's true. That could be weird. Give me the cats. Um, we should run through just uh, as we wrap up here a couple of the other interesting games. Louisville at UCF on Friday night should be interesting at 7:30. Uh, I'll be interested to see how that one goes after Louisville just uh, gets bounced in really embarrassing fashion uh, on the road at Syracuse, who just might be good, by the way. Like Syracuse just might be 
might be a good football program uh, this year. And Dina might have saved his job and they could be going bowling. Um, we got Wake Forest at Vanderbilt and Mizzou at Kansas State. I think it's going to be super fascinating because Mizzou looked pretty solid offensively. Luther Burden looks like he's going to be a player um, in that Mizzou offense. So I'm curious to see how that goes against Kansas State, who I have to pick in the Big 12 title game. Uh, all eyes will be on FS1 for Duke Northwestern for the Battle of the Brains uh, for that one. So who stands tall there? Um, I will be at the edge of my seat looking at that. Um, I think Marshall Notre Dame could get feisty. Like it's on Peacock. No one would be watching it, but Marshall's a really good football program. Charles Huff's done a really good job there, and I would not be surprised if Marshall covers whatever that spread is off the top of my head. Also, um, am I seeing this correctly? Mm. That North Carolina is playing at Georgia State this week? They are. They are pl- opening <laughs> the season at App State and at Georgia State? Who is this program? <laughs> like, what conference are they in? I'm just scrolling down this Center Park Stadium. Mm. Uh, formerly Turner Field. I'll always call it Turner Field, but... Uh, yeah, I feel like Georgia State, that feels sneaky, honestly. Like, Georgia State just, they tend to give these Power 5 schools a run for their money. Another one that's sneaky that I would watch out for is, does Michigan cover one of the most preposterous lines we've ever seen in college football? Hawaii at home late. I think that line was 50, right? Hawaii, Michigan, last I checked. Oh, is that right? Where? Uh, what time is? Um, I'm trying to find that game. Eight o'clock. Here. Michigan, Hawaii. I want to say the line was fifty. Wow. I just I don't do. Or do we feel like Michigan can score fifty points? JJ like, McCarthy just, starting this one. This is showing at uh, minus fifty-one right now. Ooh. Yeah, especially with a new game with McCarthy, like. If if they cover this spread, I think McCarthy <laughs> might be the guy. Like I don't I don't know. I don't want to react overreact to a win over Hawaii, but uh I don't know. I'm I'm really interested to see how this turns out. Like uh like what happens if McCarthy just looks bad for the first quarter? Like what if we go to a 0-0 zero, zero, uh end, end of the first it's 0-0 zero, zero, like you said you were. This was McCarthy's full game, and now it's like, oh, maybe we need to get McNamara in there. I don't know. I'm still skeptical of this. Just declaring two different guys the starters weeks one and two. It's just I'm I'm fascinated to see how it works out. Um, one other one to keep an eye on. Three thirty. App State going to College Station. I think that might be a sneaky one. App State's offense is legit. Chase Bryce going in there for his 19th year. Like, he's the better quarterback between him and Haynes King. Haynes King did not look great last week. What if that one's a back and forth? Like, they're going to put some points. Like, I think AM's going to have to get this offense figured out a little bit because AM, their defense is legit, top five in the country. But I still think App State's going to score. I think they're going to put a lot of pressure. I don't know if they're going to win. I would not pick them to win. But if that one's close going in the fourth and it's like 24. 27 app state and m i would not be the least bit surprised i would keep an eye on that one folks if you're not all locked in on uh pit tennessee or during commercials you want to flip over i might consider flipping over to AM and uh app state because i think that one might be a little crazy towards the end what do you think yeah that's a good call i um that one got kind of overlooked on the on the slate this week but um i don't know we'll see I, I've I've told you I told you last week the the App State Giant Killer 
reputation was a little overrated, but mm. part of it feels like it's on A&M. Like we want to see, kind of want to see what A&M's got because App State is not your typical cupcake. They're at least a more respectable uh, G5 school. But I think most people around that time will be watching uh, Georgia Samford, that uh, compelling game that I think the, the line, ESPN doesn't even list a line on here right now, but I think I heard the line was up to 52. Oh, is it higher but, than uh, Michigan? That makes I sense. Think, I think so. So, yeah, that that should be a bloodbath. But um, yeah, App State A and M. I think that's a that's a solid solid sneaky game. Okay, I like it. I like it. Matt Green, uh, that's it for this week. How many did we agree and disagree on? What's the difference? Can you make up significant ground? Um, this I'll have to go through and, and look mm. at. I think we agreed on like the first five or six so we got some solid disagreements in there especially because you have a few you have two or three in there where you're uh you're taking one team to win and the other to cover so we got enough disagreements uh to uh to make things interesting okay assuming you're not just uh protecting the lead sitting on the ball for uh for the final 10 weeks of the season <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you it could be a good bit uh i, I could do it um i would maybe i would consider that if it was like a money thing if it was a money pool or something like that i would absolutely do that uh if it was like a guaranteed uh money thing yeah just dominate week one and uh i think we'd have it. to like submit our picks ahead yes. of time to to not know which the other person was picking but uh but yeah likely we don't have to worry about your <laughs> lack of integrity when it comes to making picks exactly <laughs> Uh, Matt Green, you can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Uh, follow myself at Chase M underscore Thomas. Uh, more Chase Thomas podcast to follow here. Katie Sharp of Rabbit New Blues and uh, just a long time uh, New York Yankees writer and podcaster, Talking Yanks, all that good stuff. Um, and then also Justin Rowan of uh, the, the Chase Down, talking all things Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs. Still coming up here on the Thursday edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast. As always, leave us a five star rating and review. Uh, if you enjoy this very program, subscribe on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode. This is a daily show, so there's new episodes in your podcast player feed each and every day. And check us out on youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe. Those thumbs up help and all that good stuff. For that guy down there in Decula, Georgia, Matt Green. For myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all we've got uh, here on this edition of The Full Ride. We'll be back Sunday night for our recap show. Matt Green, I will talk to you then. Yes, sir. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Chase Notes Podcast, taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. Katie Sharp is here. Katie Sharp, uh, everyone on baseball Twitter, not just Yankees Twitter, have known about Katie for years and years. Um, just doing great work, not only covering the Yankees, but Major League Baseball as a whole. Katie, it's a, it's a delight to be uh, joined by you on the on the program this afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Chase. Uh, I'm really excited to, uh, to talk some Yankees with you, and um, hopefully we'll have a good conversation here. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, if I recall, though, you had like a banner of Navy in uh in your banner at one point and my dad's a retired marine my grandfather was in was in the navy in world war ii 
Um, a lot of Navy Marines, same branch. Uh, so they're they're in the same. They're, they're all okay. Trust me, when Navy Army comes around, the Marines are going <laughs> for Navy. Um, what is your right. relation to the Navy? And can you explain how they lost at home to the Delaware Blue Hens <laughs> over the weekend? Because, Katie, you talk I, about uh, like, like in college football. That was rough. Oh, geez. Well, first, uh, my relation to the Navy. My, uh, my husband is in the Navy. He went okay. to the Academy. He went to the academy, um, and he's been uh, he's been in ever since. So he's uh, going on uh, more than more than twenty years right now. Oh wow! Um, so, so yeah. So that's my connection. Um, and uh, we've been to a few Navy game, Navy football mm-hmm. games. Haven't been to too many. Um, so, but just love love the sport. And as for explaining what happened last weekend, uh, there, I have no word. I mean, <laughs> that's there is no excuse for losing to an FCS team mm-hmm. uh, at home in the first game of the season um they they're in trouble this season because their offense looks broken and i don't know what can fix it <laughs> it's bad because like you, you fired the ad fires the oc last yes. year and then there's a revolt and he's brought back and now it's still bad i don't know it's it's bleak i mean i, had, I had high hopes mm-hmm. i mean they were they had a lot of returning. They, you know, they had a returning quarterback, which is always a good thing when you're mm-hmm. in the triple option. When you're in Navy, if you can have experience at quarterback, that's really pretty much the fulcrum of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, that was that was pathetic. I was I I couldn't watch. Um, at some points, it was just there was there was no offense. There's no fluidity at all. Um, so hoping for better times, uh, hoping to get out. We're going to be going to the, uh, actually going to go into the Navy air force game. Oh, nice. Um, next month. Cause, uh, we live in Colorado. My husband and I, hold on. So, I got, uh, I got something nice for treat. you, Katie. Hold on. I got something for you for this game. All right. This is an authentic Ooh. air force wow. helmet. Yeah. They sent this to me when, uh, coach, uh, Calhoun was on the program a few months That's back. That's cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like that. Very cool. So I I don't know. I might Air Force is just cool, man. Troy Calhoun's a cool dude. They're looking they're really good get, right out of the game. Get, I don't think it's gonna be I'm, a great a situation nervous. for you guys. I'm a little nervous mm-hmm. uh, because that that could be a bloodbath. But great <laughs> uniforms. I seem to recall they do a really good job of doing some alternates for yeah, Navy and yeah, Air Force. Yeah. So there would be some some cool ones. I think was it last year that Navy wore Marine themed uniforms? They did. Game? I believe that was for the uh, the Army Navy game though. It was, was it like a, okay but it was a theme yeah they had it was i forget what it was for but yeah it was like a navy really navy with some like red and yellow piping yes and some some really cool designs with the, the, lo- the marines logo and um so but yeah yeah but i don't know about my navy my navy football is not doing well <laughs> well there's not still time state. week one maybe they can bounce back maybe they can figure it out ken's won a lot of games in navy we'll see yeah. what happens the long Gotta season have a, believe in ken there you go. Um, you're also the queen of stats at Talking Yanks with uh, just uh, that John Boy Media, just uh, <laughs> gigantic and Talking Baseball is one of my favorite uh, weekly listens and Talking Yanks and all those guys. Like, how did you get the title of queen of stats, Katie? How, where did that come about? Wow. I I don't know. I don't think I've ever really been asked that, but um, it probably was it was probably from Jimmy or Jake probably okay. from Jake. Um, just, you know, some random time just called me that, <laughs> um, you know, when we were, when we were doing a podcast or something. Um, but, um, but yeah, I really don't know. That's a good question. Really good question, but I, I like it. I mean, sure. Cool. 
were you always stuff. a stats person like were you always kind of more of an analytical person or did you get in was your love of baseball already well developed and you were like oh this is just something that I can I do like numbers and I can integrate this into my natural affinity for baseball or which which came first for you well, I mean, I, it's got to be baseball was first because okay. that was like birth. Baseball was birth. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> my, my dad was a, a huge Yankees fan. Um, so it was, uh, baseball was from birth. And I guess, I mean, but, you know, ever since I've really been in school, you know, I definitely have had an affinity for stats, for math, mm-hmm. for just kind of looking at, looking at, from, at things from an analytical viewpoint, um, doing, doing research. I've always really enjoyed the research process. Mm. Um, so it was, a, it's a perfect marriage because baseball is a game of stats and it's very analytical, uh, probably more so than, than, than other sports. Mm. Uh, so I like it. I like it. Well, you cover a team right now, Katie, uh, that has been in a free fall for a while and it's been, it's been rough because there's really not, I, I wanted to get you on this podcast for this. One of these very reasons is just like the historical precedence of this kind of, fall from grace where we had just collectively as baseball fans just penciled in the Yankees best record in the AL like this is over this is insane this team is just gonna be top notch and it was interesting because going into the year I don't think there was that same level of certainty around this team no one thought it seems like when you were talking to different folks with the Yankees and stuff like that that it was like oh they should be good they should be a playoff team but they didn't feel like a juggernaut uh, there are questions at the shortstop spot. There are questions with what their starting rotation depth would look like. There are questions about the bullpen. There, there are questions uh, about what this team would look like going into this year. Um, and they answered the bell immediately and were an absolute juggernaut. And ever since, uh, I guess it's now September 7th as we're recording this, it's almost two months of just the exact opposite. And Aaron Boone just aging 17 years in the last two months. <laughs> Uh, managing this team I pose this question to you Katie how would you best explain to folks who are not watching the Yankees every single night what's plaguing this baseball team right now well first I want to you know kind of go back to your point about the what you said at the beginning of the season like their projections were for about 91 92 Mm -hmm. wins if you look at either you know Vegas or fan graphs or baseball prospectus, whatever kind of uh, market you're looking at. Um, so they were, and that, you know, they, that's what they might end up at, you know, mm-hmm. like, or may, they probably should get to, you know, maybe 94, 95 wins, but, um, but that's what they're going to end up at. So it really is a tale of kind of the, you know, the roller coaster ride that a season is for every team, mm. you know, they were playing probably, they were definitely playing above their skis for the first two or three months of the season. Mm. And now it's the water is just coming right back, right? The tide is just coming in right now. Um, so I just kind of wanted to point out that, that, you know, this is as this is what happens during the season. You get this, if you go on this run, you get this huge hype, right? Mm. And it, you get this huge high, but there, the law, the regression to the mean is real. It's a real mm. thing. It's impossible to play at a 120, I mean, not impossible, <laughs> but extremely difficult to play it at a 120 win pace for an entire season, right? So now back to your question, the way that I would com- that I would explain this collapse is it's it's been a complete offensive collapse. Um, 
uh, over the last uh, two months. And just some, some really stark numbers um, that I want to point out. And this is as a team. Um, over the last 30 days, the Yankees have scored the fewest runs in the AL. They have the lowest batting average, the second lowest OBP, and the lowest slugging percentage. That's over the last 30 days. Um, mm. And, well, people will say, well, what about Judge, right? Mm. Well, yes. And the, this is even more ridiculous. If you break out what Judge is doing the last 30 days and what the Yankees are doing, it's like it's it's like a triple i mean it's not even real so i'll, I'll throw mm. out these numbers for you um so judge in the last 30 days he's got 118 plate appearances 11 home runs he's hitting 306 with a 464 obp and a 741 slugging right mm. the other yankees so every other yankee 846 plate appearances 14 home runs, mm. a 192 batting average, a 252 on base percentage, and a 280 slugging. So the entire offense, yes, is collapsing, but even if when you break it out between Judge and the rest of the team, it's even more stark. And you realize how much he is really literally carrying this team on his back right now. Do you think it's weighed on him at all? Because it's interesting when we see a lot of superstar, middle of the lineup kind of guys, if the rest of the lineup just starts to fall apart around him. It makes, I mean, look at what Juan Soto was dealing with in Washington. Part of the reason that he was just out on that whole situation, and we were talking about in this program weeks ahead, I was like, if you're Juan Soto, there's just, <laughs> you can look around and you can say, hey, money's the money's going to be awesome here. And I could stay here and bet on them to figure it out in a couple of years and go but that's a lot of plate appearances. It's a lot of plate appearances where you have no protection. That's a lot of plate appearances where you're getting, you might get intentionally walked an absurd amount of times because they're just not going to throw to you because they know what uh, what's behind you is not the least bit uh, threatening. And they're more than happy to throw their worst stuff to you and just pitch around you. That would wear on a, wear on a guy. Have you seen that over the last 30 days where Judge is just... Uh, opposing pitchers are just like we really just have to get through Aaron Judge right now because everybody else is just in this free fall I really haven't which is mm. which is surprising because you know his, his chase rate you know like chase rate is one indication that he might be pressing a little bit that really mm. hasn't changed he's that you know he's definitely taking a ton of walks he's not really he's not expanding the zone he's not striking out more um so I think that he's handling this as best as possible and mm. I think it's a little bit of a different situation than something like the Nationals, who are yeah. actively they're, they're tanking, right? Mm -hmm. They did not put a good lineup around him, right? The Yankees tried, mm. <laughs> but for other circumstances, injuries, underperformance, whatnot, the um, there is no one in the lineup that is providing him with any you know sort of support or protection mm. or anything like that right now. Um, so I think maybe that is some you know maybe he's just thinking like these guys are good. I know they have the talent. You mm. know, if we can just get back whole, I can I can stay steady and we can we can turn this around. Whereas with Juan Soto, it was like, what am I doing here? Like mm. I got like these triple A guys. I got, you know, nobody's around me. Like I don't care. Right. Mm -hmm. Um so I like it. I like it. Um the biggest we talked about injuries a little bit and the injuries have gotten bad anthony rizzo the latest uh to the il and we'll see what that means for this team and how long he's out but the biggest injury concern for you katie going forward is with who 
For me, it's DJ LeMayhew. Hmm. And the reason is because through July, he was actually, he was the second most valuable player on the Yankees. If you look at mm. war, you know, taking into account his hitting, his, his defense and everything that he does, he was literally the second most valuable player next to Judge. He mm. was, um, he was at, this is through July, he was at 285, a 389 OBP. Um, the slugging was a little low at 424, but he led the AL in walks at the end of July. Um, and he was really that catalyst at the top of the lineup, right? Mm. And that's what they need. They're, they need people to get on base in front of Judge and Stanton and, and whoever's going to try and hit <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, he, he really was providing that. Um, and over his last 20 games, and we know he's injured, right? We know he's injured. He's not on the IL. Um, but over his last 20 games, he's hitting 128 with a 179 OBP. And he has no extra base hits. 17 strikeouts and five walks in those 20 games like that that is the definition of a black hole in the lineup mm. i mean and he's trying to play through it you know he's sitting today but but if he can get i mean when he was right he was just he was rolling and he was providing protection for judge he was getting on base um and he was really just that spark that the yankees needed and uh and and right now i think that if anybody can can turn it around if, if they need somebody to turn around it has to be him if he doesn't though what does aaron boone do in the postseason with lamahia and the top of that lineup i think he's still gonna run him out there mm. just because of the track record right i mean we saw we saw what dj did last year when he tried to play through an injury it wasn't mm. pretty but there really aren't very many options mm. i mean especially you know like you would say oh well ben intendi well and Tenny, sir, right? Yep. I mean, I, I there's just, <laughs> I really don't know. You're running out of bodies. Uh, I, I'm, I mean, Cabrera. Yeah. <laughs> um, who do you put it there at the top of the lineup if you don't, I mean, if you don't have DJ at this point? Um, now that's so this is interesting too because I think there was a lot of smoke and there was a lot of stuff. It seemed like Yankees fans were really upset at the Harrison Bader for Jordan Montgomery trade at the deadline. And that was a point of contention for a lot of Yankees fans. And Brian Cashman, who has is still by and large a very good Major League Baseball general manager, he has done a really, really good job. He's just still there. And it's just one of those things where I think he's you. Uh, some folks just love to hate him because you just are around somewhere for so long that you kind of know how uh, they operate. You know what Brian's going to kind of do and you kind of know where things are going. But I think it caught a lot of folks by surprise that they would move on from Jordan Montgomery because of how thin the margin was of that starting rotation. And um, you <laughs> you're seeing that now a little bit where, man, like one or two guys go down this rotation. We're in real trouble. Like, it's great what we got from Nestor Cortez this year. But that was a that was an outlier. That was not something that was uh was expected coming into the year one bit jordan montgomery was just solid and it was like do we really need a harrison bader in this lineup do we really need a harrison baylor uh bader when we have something like in jordan montgomery where not a not an ace by any means but just someone you can count on um each week now that it's been a couple months and now that you've had some time to think about it and like see what jordan's done in st louis and what this rotation's looked like since then and what bader's been like was that overblown, the response to the Montgomery for Bader trade? I think it was a little bit overblown. Mm. And because the Yankees actually 
it's their pitching that has carried them. Mm. And in hindsight, if you look back, they probably needed more bats. They probably needed mm. more depth in their lineup. I mean, obviously, you could not have foreseen some of these injuries that happened, especially with um, Benintendi and um, with, you know, Stanton. I mean, they knew Stanton was hurt, but they didn't know he was going to be this bad after getting back and uh, mm. the injury is going to linger. And um, But in hindsight, you probably would have wanted to get some more depth in the lineup, whereas their pitching has actually been extremely good um, since the deadline. And um, yes, they, you know, Jordan Montgomery made them, made it look like a foolish trade because he performed so well out of the gate for the Cardinals and the Yankees have literally been looking at Harrison Bader in his walking boot um, for the past uh, two months. Um, But if he can come back, I think that's, that can only help them. Because as I mentioned before, it's the lineup, it's the offense that has really been uh, at the root of this collapse. Is Tayon fixed? Is he good to go come postseason? Are you are you confident in him at this point? I'm not. No, I'm not no. confident in him. Um, he's just he's a different pitcher than he mm. was at the beginning of the season. You can see it with his command, uh, the number of home runs that he's giving up. Um, granted, a lot of them have been solo home runs, but you can't be doing that in the playoffs. Mm. Um, and that's what scares me because one blast is what can make the difference in a game in the playoffs. It's hard to string together two, two or three or four singles in a playoff game against good mm. pitching. But if, if there are teams that can just pop one out of the park, that could be the game. And that's where I think that that's where Ty, Tyon scares me the most. Interesting. What about Frankie Montas? How's he been? in those rotations since coming over or kind of a disappointment. Is it still a TBD kind of postseason I think time? It's still a TBD. And I think you got to give him a little bit of leeway just mm. because of the circumstances when he came over um, with having, you know, not being around the team and miss, you know, coming off of an injury and, you know, waiting, I think it was like 10 days before his first start and kind of having that lag. And um, I mean, he's definitely pitched better over his last couple outings. Um, he had, you know, he's just had a couple clunkers, right? Um, but I would give him some more time when he starts to kind of figure out his pitch mix and what's working for him here. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic. I'm definitely more optimistic about him than mm-hmm. about Tyone um, turning it around. Interesting. Um, how well do you think? It's always so hard to figure out the impact of managers, right? In baseball, I think it's the hardest one to kind of navigate of the pro sports of like their impact and what they really do for a team. But with Aaron Boone, how well do you think he's managed this rough slide over the last two months and with injuries and with lineup choices, uh, with uh, pitching rotation choices, when to pull guys in and out, like how he's utilized the bullpen? Have you been mostly okay with it? Or do you think Boone's kind of been uh, a factor in this slide over the last two months? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's really, really hard to figure out how much control he has mm. over the decisions, right? We know that there is somebody in his ear in the front mm-hmm. office or, or in the scouting department or whatever telling him what to do. And also the fact that there really isn't other options. Like there's mm. no waiver trades anymore. Um, it's really just play the guys that are hurt or play the triple A guys. Right. Um, and they're doing that. And I think that, I mean, yes, you can blame boom for some things, but 
I'm, I'm, I don't really think that he should be taking the brunt of what's happening. It's the players, right? Mm -hmm. The players have to perform. Um, and you know, you look at all the different lineups that he's put out and, but he's just trying to do some sort of spark. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you look at the numbers, like for the entire season, the Yankees don't have like a ton of different lineups, like an extraordinary amount compared Mm -hmm. to other teams. People always say, oh, we have so many different lineups. Every other team does too. I've mm. looked at the numbers. Um, it's just something that fan bases like to complain about. Um, huh. And I do see the value in I do see the value in having a consistent lineup. I absolutely mm. think that that's something that uh, teams should strive for mm. um, because players do perform better when they know where they're you know where they're going to be. But his hands are really tied right now, like. Mm there there really isn't much he can do um it should be up to the players to perform who among the al east contenders down the stretch here we can throw the boston red sox out here uh but the orioles just an awesome story here down the stretch seller to the deadline continuing on gunner henderson in the building um but when you look at the o's the rays who will just never go away completely and even though they've had the injury season from hell in a lot of ways that they're just they're making it through um, and the Blue Jays who were the scariest team in baseball this time last year um, of those three, who scares you the most down, down the last little bit of uh, stretch run of the 22, 2022 MLB season. Uh, for me, it's definitely the Blue Jays. Hmm. Um, and the reason is because they have a lot of good young talent, opposition uh, 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 players, Vladimir hmm. Guerrero, Bobochette, um, Vigio, Alejandro Kirk, a lot of good young talent. And then they also have a really talent, they have a really strong top of the rotation. So one, two in Kevin Gossman and Alec Manoa. And those guys are frontline starters. They're, they're, they're workhorses. They're, they're bulldogs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, this was a really interesting stat that I found. Um, they have an extreme, they have probably the deepest lineup in the major leagues. So they are the only team in MLB that has seven players with at least 400 plate appearances and that is hitting at a 10% above league average rate. Hmm. So providing at least 10% above league average, that's better than league average, um, 400 plate appearances. So they're regular players. They have seven of those. They're the only team in majors that have that. So their lineup is just stacked, you know, top to bottom. Hmm. Um, so they are probably the team, just their, that combination, pitching, young talent, deep lineup that scares me the most um, for the, uh, and they're, I think they're about six, six behind right now as, mm. we, as we take this. Um, so there's definitely a chance and they play the, one of the, they play them at the end of the season. Uh, there is one still remaining uh, series against the Blue Jays. Do you still feel that way? Like that the Blue Jays could win this division? Do you think, would it still not just completely blow your mind if the Yankees actually ended up not winning this this division? Oh, it, it would blow my mind. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, six games is a lot to make up yeah. in less, you know, three weeks, right? Mm. Um, with only three games remaining against the Yankees, right? You need a sweep there. Yeah. So I would say if they had, you know, six or nine games against the Yankees left, which mm. weird, but... Um, it would be possible, but the fact that there are so many head-to-head meetings um, mm-hmm. makes it really tough for me to see the the Blue Jays winning the division. 
Um, what are some numbers that should make Yankees fans feel a bit <laughs> more at ease at this point mid September, Katie? Where is the where does the optimism come from? Um, well, I, I mean, you, you start with Judge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those numbers that I said of his last thirty days. If he can, I mean, he's doing it right now. He's carrying the team. If he can do it for the rest of the the, the rest of the season, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I'll throw out there is that. On paper, they do have the easiest remaining schedule um, mm-hmm. among any of the AL East contenders. Um, so there's that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's on paper, but whatnot. Um, and then it's the pitching for me. Mm. If you look at those same last 30 days, the pitching has a 3.24 ERA. And the starters have allowed more than three runs in only four of 26 games. Mm. So the starting pitching and the pitching as a whole is giving the Yankees a chance to win basically every night. Um, so like I said before, it's up to the offense, other players, not named judge to kind of step up. Um, I like it. Uh, we'll end on this. What now that you've seen like just the highs of the highs and the lows, of the lows of this Yankee season, do you still feel that this is a team that could win when they get a little bit healthier that can still win a world series this year. Do you think it's still a possibility based on what they have and who can still come back down the stretch? Absolutely. I okay. mean, if you look at this team, when they're healthy, there's no reason why they shouldn't could be a, be a world series contender. Mm. Um, it's, it's like I said before, it's the matter of getting healthy though. Like these injuries, if they still linger, mm. if DJ doesn't get right, if Rizzo can't come back, if Stanton is, going to be, you know, hitting, hitting 110 for the rest of the season, um, then there's nothing. But, uh, but yeah, at, the, at full strength, we saw what they did at full strength, right? The mm-hmm. first two, three months of the season. That was full strength Yankees. Um, and they, they were almost unbeatable. Katie, this was great. Thank you so much for making the time this afternoon. What can the good folks check out from you this week all across the internet? What would you like to plug as we wrap up here today? Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, KT, the letters KT sharp. And then um, I do uh, I do a weekly thing on uh, Talking Yanks. It usually comes out Tuesdays or usually comes out on Tuesdays. This week it came out uh, on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so check that out, sharp stats segment. And um, yeah, that's about it. There you go. Katie, keep up the great work. Uh, hope Thank things. You. I mean, the Braves are right now in the thick of things, uh, making life uh, significantly yeah. more painful for the Mets as they are now tied as of this recording. That's right. Yeah. In the, in, atop the NL East, which is just great. I, I have no idea how it's going to end, but Scherzer going to the IL uh, today. Like it's, uh, it's not looking great uh, for the Metropolitans <laughs> down the stretch here. So uh, hopefully the Braves can keep this new division streak uh going uh down the stretch here so yankees braves we it's bet i think baseball is just better when they're both in the playoffs and at the peak of their powers katie thank you so much have a great rest of your day and we'll have to reconnect again soon yep thanks so much for having me on chase All right, hello, and welcome back to the Chase Most Podcast as we continue on our Wednesday afternoon edition here on the program. Justin Rowan, 
of the chase down way back in the day and og at fear the sword uh we have been on uh nba twitter for way too long uh justin <laughs> where i'm gonna guess we're both both in our 30s at this point and uh things have changed but some things have not which is that we still talk basketball uh an unhealthy amount how are you yeah. I'm I'm doing well. Still talking about basketball, uh, way way too much. But you know what? It's getting more fun by the day, and certainly a lot more fun now that the uh, Cavs have added Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that. But your your show Chase Down, it's done. I mean, we've talked about how we're gonna go through with the whole naming rights issue between yeah. my name, the Chase Down, that sort of thing. Um, using my likeness uh, with college football and college sports just uh, adopting that uh, nil name image and likeness and how much that's going uh here in knoxville tennessee we'll, we're continuing to uh, negotiate on that front but yeah it may it it makes me happy to see the chase down uh being such a success and the name working out in cleveland yeah it, it's a little concerning i i was kind of banking on a lot of the sales of the sexland t-shirts uh <laughs> to help fight that lawsuit um mm -hmm. but now that revenue is out the window so uh i i gotta pivot i, I gotta figure out a way to make this work because uh, it, it definitely is a little concerning now absolutely um well we have some cav stuff uh i don't know if you heard about this did you see this that the cleveland cavaliers last week they uh they traded for uh donovan mitchell if i have that right justin um now that you've had close to a week i want to get your perspective on this because you've had several days now to kind of think about who was moved who went where what picks went out the door how this is going to work thinking about um just what this new foursome of jared allen evan mobley uh donovan mitchell and darius garland are going to look like when they're actually playing basketball with one another now that you've had those those days to kind of think about this more what uh, where have you landed and what has changed since your immediate reaction yeah i i think as I've kind of digested it, I, I understand it more. Like, I, I think it's impossible to not pick nits uh, when you are dealing with a situation where you're moving all of kind of your future picks that are available to you at that moment. Mm. And I think, obviously, the Cavs would love to have a big wing. Uh, a big playmaking wing is kind of like the key to success in the NBA. But you don't really have control over the players that are available to you. Mm. And... The, the Cavs are in a unique situation where they have this great young core, these three guys that worked so well together last year, and they did so with some of the worst spacing in the league. You look at uh, uh, Basketball Index, um, their, their lineup spacing data, and Darius Garland uh, had an F in terms of uh, lineup spacing around him. Mm. I think it was like in the 10th percentile, 9th percentile. Uh, so it, it was rough, but it, it still worked incredibly well. So when you add someone that is a dynamic score, someone that takes threes at such a high volume, uh, that's a talented playmaker and can play on and off ball just like Garland can, I, I think it, it makes you feel really good about the fit of this core together. And uh, the fact that both of the bigs are kind of guys that are unselfish, that, that do all the little things and, and just are kind of focused on winning it makes you feel good that you have these four young players that fit so well together, both on court as well as from a personality standpoint. It seems like this is a, a good bet to make. Interesting. I, um, I'm curious from your perspective and we'll get into who benefits the most and least here, but 
um, with the trade and Lori going out the door, Colin Sexton going out the door and him having to agree uh, to the sign and trade and him moving on to Utah. Are you at all concerned that you didn't get like a boat Bogdanovich in this one where you're like, mm-hmm. that would have been nice where just to feel better, uh, another option. You talked about the spacing here because um, he's kind of like the last <laughs> the last man standing in Utah from that contender team. And we'll see if he ends up in a Russell Westbrook deal or whoever, uh, if L.A. and Utah can figure something out. Like, we'll see. Uh, still many days, uh, at like what, uh, 18 or so days until training camp, something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, do you are you surprised that Kobe Altman did not bring in or just be like, Hey, we need somebody else along with Mitchell because we're, we're sacrificing a lot of depth. And this is, uh, this is now a weak point where a lot, a lot is on Isaac Okoro to make that leap or Chetty Osman to make that leap. And I don't know, like it would have been nice, I guess, if Royce O'Neal had not already been traded to (laughs) uh, Brooklyn uh, a while back, like he would have made a lot of sense on this Cleveland team. Is there a part of you that wishes that there was another person involved in this deal to kind of fill out the rest of that starting starting four? I I mean, I I would absolutely love to have a a more traditional wing. Um, Mm. I think this is a real opportunity for Isaac Okoro to kind of step up and and build off of what he did last season. Uh, After December, he was shooting 50% from the floor, 39% from three. And while that was on low volume and he wasn't really defended much, it's going to be a lot of open looks again for him next season. And if that offseason work... uh, pays off and he's able to even turn that volume up from two three point attempts a night to four i think Mm -hmm. that really kind of changes the calculus on this and the other thing to consider as well is larry markinen um it's no secret like he misses time Mm -hmm. and when he missed time last year dean wade stepped in he stepped in for uh almost 30 starts last year and in those minutes with Garland, Mobley, and Allen on the court with Dean Wade, the Cavs had a plus 19 net rating. Uh, mm. they, they were great on both ends of the court. And I, I think there's definitely a bet that, hey, we, we still have the internal depth. We, we have guys like Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Jedi Osman, and even maybe Dylan Windler, uh, mm. now that he's coming off his first healthy offseason and full offseason. Maybe one of these guys are going to step up. But the other part of this equation is the Cavs have a lot of cap space uh, mm. n- next summer as a result of this move. And there are going to be names like Bogdanovich, like Harrison Barnes, Andrew Wiggins, Jeremy Grant, Kyle Kuzma, Gary Trent Jr. that are probably going to be on the unrestricted free agent market. And if the internal bet doesn't pay off, there's going to be options to pivot. And yes, I would love to have Bogdanovich in that deal. But when you look at a salary matching standpoint, you'd be moving on from Karis LeVert, who I think Mm. is going to have real value uh, in that six-man rolling, Mm. giving them another uh, playmaking ball handler. Or Kevin Love, who obviously now has a more kind of solidified role alongside Jared Allen and Evan Mobley as that third big off of the bench, veteran presence. And I I just, I wouldn't feel comfortable moving off of either of those guys. And Mm. I think taking the patient approach and seeing if that internal development answers that issue can kind of inform you on whether or not you want to go out and spend that cap space in that area or if there's another need that needs to be addressed. So um, the the nice thing about this Mitchell trade is he's got term on his contract, the rest of the core is locked up, and they can still 
take a bit of a patient approach when it comes to the development of the other players. Who benefits the most from this trade? Uh, This could be coaching staff, front office, player who will be playing next to Mitchell. Who do you think benefits the most from Mitchell and Cleveland? I'm going to go with Evan Mobley. Hmm. And I want to give credit. I I, I forget who was in our Chase Down Discord, but Mm. it made a really smart point about how the acquisition of Donovan Mitchell means that Evan Mobley doesn't necessarily have to be Minnesota KG, where he's being counted on to be a lead offensive option, and can be more Boston Kevin Garnett, Hmm. where he's doing all kind of the right things. He's able to play winning basketball. There's a lot of talent around him. Uh, He can just kind of stay in his comfort zone. And I'm still expecting him to continue to develop his offensive game and, and to become a serious part of this team. But you can probably now get away with Evan Mobley being like a 20 point 20 to 22 points per game guy in the future where you just have so much talent around them. You, you have the, the playmaking of both Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and having both of those guys is going to make things a lot easier for both he and Jared Allen. So I think this really helps Evan Mobley not get into a situation where he's being asked to do too much too soon Mm-hmm. and can kind of develop in a more natural team-orientated way, which seems to be the way that he likes to play anyways. Like, th- this guy's a-, a winner at every level of basketball and has excelled with a lot of talent around him, whether, whether it's with Team USA or, or other situations. So I-, I think that this is a really, really nice move uh, and complements Evan Mobley's skill set well. Who, on the flip side, stands to benefit the least from Mitchell arriving in Cleveland? Um, I think probably Karis LeVert. Like he was mm. lined up uh, to be starting in a contract year. And I, I still think that there's the opportunity for this to work out well for him. Like I, mm. I think the last couple of years, Karis LeVert has been asked to do too much on the basketball court. Like he's basically, hey, you're seceding. Uh, Victor Oladipo in Indiana, we need you to be mm. the lead option. Uh, or Brooklyn with all the injuries, we need you to do too much. I think there's an opportunity for this to really work out for Levert and for him to kind of be another ball handler off the bench. If you're staggering Garland and Mitchell, he can allow you to maybe get those guys some off-ball looks even when the other one isn't on the court. So there's an advantage to that. But obviously, as you're heading into a contract year and you go from starter to likely coming off the bench, at mm-hmm. least that would be my guess, um, there, there is a, a impact from that and, and there's a fallout from that. So I would probably pick Levert, but for the most part, there's not really a massive change in terms of like what minutes are available throughout the roster because Ochai Abaji wasn't playing last year. Colin Sexton wasn't playing after the 11th game. So really you're swapping Lowry Markinen for Donovan Mitchell hmm. and I, I think that should give Cavs fans a, a high degree of confidence that, hey, this can work out. We haven't given up a ton of our depth. Uh, despite swapping Lowry from Mitchell, we still have brought back Ricky Rubio. We brought in Howell Neto. Uh, we have Robin Lopez, so we actually have a legitimate backup center that works here. And you've got these other guys that stepped up like Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens and had to start games last year. And the team didn't fall apart as a result of that. So I I think that there is still a good amount of depth on this team. And that's encouraging. When you look at the East now, very, very top heavy side of the the conference. Um, 
I mean, my Hawks, I have no idea. Like, you could tell me four seed, you could tell me nine seed, and neither would surprise me uh, <laughs> going into this year. But now the Cavs, I don't know. Like, where where are you feeling like is – because the pressure is now on, right? Like, Colby Altman, the pressure is now on. You brought in <laughs> – the picks are gone. Um, like, Colin Sexton's gone. The question's like, this is it. This is a, the team. And like you said, they'll have some space next summer to figure out the three spot if it doesn't go uh, – it goes awry uh, with the internal options. But when you look at the rest of the East and how it's uh, set up right now, where do the Cavs realistically and fairly fall in line with, with what they have going into next year? Um, I think right now the top tier in the East is probably Boston and Milwaukee. Uh, I, I think that those two are kind of comfortably my one and two in, in whatever order. Mm. Um, tier two, you're probably looking at Philly, Miami and I think I put Cleveland in there now like I, I think hmm. Cleveland is now closer to those teams than they are kind of the, the other group which I would include Toronto Atlanta and Chicago as that third tier um, hmm. Br- Brooklyn is probably somewhere either in tier two or three um, I think it's worth noting at this point like if Kevin Durant misses 20 games, that's one of his healthiest seasons in like the last four or five years, right? Like mm. um, those guys are going to miss some time. It's going to take some time to gel. You're counting on major rotation players, whether it's Joe Harris, TJ Warren, Ben Simmons that didn't play last season. So that is going to take an adjust some adjustment time. So I, I don't have as much confidence uh, in them surging up the standings in the regular season although mm. I, I think they're going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs if they stay together so uh right now I, i'd probably have that the Cavs in that kind of tier two and i think for them they really need to prioritize the regular season because they don't have the playoff experience of these other teams and and miami milwaukee uh, even philadelphia to some extent they're going to be playing the long game because miami knows if we rest and we kind of prioritize getting guys healthy for the start of the playoffs, it doesn't matter if we don't have home court because we probably have the best coach in basketball and we can steal home court in game one of a playoff series and then we'll be fine, right? Uh, so from a Cavs standpoint, they really need to prioritize the regular season, not drop those games, and hopefully draw a more favorable first-round matchup against a team like Toronto, Atlanta, or Chicago, which, I mean, that's that's still a really, really tough series because those are all really good teams. Like good teams are going to miss the playoffs because the the league is just so deep right now. Trey and DeJounte versus Darius and Donovan in a first round series after what we saw this past year, I think would be, um, I would love that. I must see television. Uh, I don't think it would go well, Uh, get pretty chippy. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of back and forth, but um, there was already some bad blood like two years ago between yeah. these teams. Like they don't they don't like playing each other. And I, I really like Atlanta's mm-hmm. core, and I'm a big DeJounte Murray fan. Uh, I think the fit of Trey and DeJounte is not as natural, uh, mm-hmm. but I think it can work out. And it's just gonna be how much of a learning curve is there for Trey to occasionally play off ball. But I think DeJounte, I know people bring up the the shooting, but he's so smart as a cutter and an off-ball player that I, I think that's just going to work. I think like Cleveland with Garland and Mitchell, Trey and DeJounte are going to stagger. So one of them's on the court at all times that that's going to be a really, really great series. And and honestly, if I'm rooting for one, I'm hoping for that series, uh, e- even if it doesn't go the Cavs way. Um, I, I think that that is the start of a really good rivalry, especially considering those teams have uh, kind of a shared playoff history in, in recent years. 
the thing about the staggering stuff, we all say that, like, that's something that all of us, I mean, the land sports guys here on the show, like, we're going to document uh, game one because Nate McMillan is not known for staggering and he loves his all bench lineups. And um, I don't know. I don't know if Nate's the guy to maximize uh, DeJounte and Trey in this group, um, but we'll see. We shall see. Um, and I also just think it's going to go one of two ways, right? Like in Atlanta, where either this goes really well and they are two all NBA guards who mesh perfectly. Trey's happy uh, giving up some of his usage. He respects him and he realizes, hey, we're a top four seed in the East. He brought us back to where I want to stay. That's great. Or it goes really bad and Trey hates playing off ball and Trey does not like um, sharing the spotlight because it's one thing to say it in the offseason in the summer. It's another thing to be in week in game 45 and uh, to be really annoyed at how much you're having to play off the ball and you're trying to get paid and trying to be an all NBA player. And this is cutting into that. Those are two very different things. Um, so I think either this in swimmingly and the, the Hawks are contenders or Trey and DeJounte are both not in Hawks uniforms in two years or less. I don't think there's a, a middle ground here. Once you go all in and you're now in the big game, Justin, once you make these kind of moves, we just see around the league now, it all blows up. Like, there's no, it's just boom or bust. And once you play that game, that's why teams like Memphis and New Orleans and others, I think, are just so terrified of dipping their toes in 100%. Because once you do, once you dive in the deep end, that's it. Like, there's, it's not like you're going to be able to, all right, it didn't work out. We'll move that guy who messed things up and then we'll keep going. And re no, everything's over at that point. You have to start from scratch and it's, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's why I have a little more confidence when you look at the Cavs situation with Garland, Mobley, and Allen all mm. locked up uh, for long-term. Like, if the next two years don't work out with Mitchell, like, worst-case scenario, you could shop Donovan Mitchell in his prime and maybe mm -hmm. kind of make an adjustment on the fly. Whereas with the Hawks, it's a little bit different because there's Trey and DeJounte, and then, all right, does Okongwu step up and be the player that I think he can be? I'm a huge Okongwu fan. I think he's going to take over that job from Clint Capella in, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, so maybe that's a possibility. Uh, does Hunter stay healthy? I think Hunter's a hell of a player, but th those are more of an unknown versus the Cavs situation where mm. we're going from who's going to be that fourth player to all of a sudden our fourth best player going into next year is going to be one of Evan Mobley or Jared Allen. That's a really mm. good position to be in. And there's a little bit more term on that Mitchell contract versus DeJounte, who's an unrestricted free agent in two years. So I, I get it from Atlanta's perspective. And I, I think that they've done a lot of really smart moves. I think that um, they're in a position if they need to, to still kind of make some adjustments. Like I think you could probably move Clint Capella for some value. If kind of that internal growth comes along, uh, Griffin is obviously kind of a, a X factor as well. If, he lives up to who he can be and stays healthy. They could really, really benefit from his presence on their roster. So um, it, there's just a few more unknowns when it comes to Atlanta. But absolutely, when you make these types of trades, you're the, it's not a no risk situation. I think the Cavs gave up a lot in this deal and, and there is a risk associated with that. But it's fun. It's a fun time. Like, I just feel like if you're a Cavs fan, man, eat this up, man. I mean, it's it's hard to get out of the gutter. It's hard to rebuild and uh, do what the Cavs did. Like, it's kind of cool that they've gotten to experience now uh, two different ways of contention, right? Where you build <laughs> from within, you do things the right way, you uh, 
Um, you hire the right coach, you take your time, you bring in the right vets and like Ricky Rubio and company. And then, hey, Mitchell comes open and you've been diligent. And then you're like, all right, we're going to go all in. But these are all guys that you brought in. You drafted and developed Darius Garland. You drafted and developed Evan Mobley. You made a smart trade on Jared Allen when you saw value there. Like, okay, we can do this. Let's let's go get Jared Allen. Um, and they're it's just it's cool and then there's the alternative it's like oh lebron's from cleveland so he, he's just gonna be like that that's another way of building of just this guy wants to go play uh the best player in the world turns out he wants to go play in his hometown that's I, another I, I way wonder of, if he regrets that extension now that the Cavs have these four and cap space next summer i mean it's it would be a pay cut for him but mm-hmm. that would be a, a pretty, pretty seamless fit to, to have well you said you Darwin. have cap space next summer so it's unfor i don't know he, he can't be moved this year but i I don't know what is. Can he opt out next summer? I don't no, know. No, no, because he signed that uh, two-year so that, extension. That remove that, so he cannot opt out till the following summer. That's correct. Okay, so that's oof. Um, but also, just my gut tells me on the LeBron thing, and then one final Cavs question for you, Justin. It's just that, like, I think he knows deep down, like LeBron's too smart. He knows this cat, this Lakers roster. He remembers the end of the Miami Heat rosters. He remembers the end of. These kind of things, he he know he's looking out, and I think he understands that Anthony Davis cannot play 120 consecutive basketball games. There's some work close, uh, very often, and he got the championship with him in the bubble. He's kind of stuck with Westbrook. I, I think LeBron knows he's played his last important NBA game. I think it's just more of like he wants to get to Bronny and move on to the next chapter, own an NBA team, whatever. I think, and this is something I said last year before the playoffs when I was like, I'd like are missing the playoffs, and I don't think. Uh, folks are ready for this but lebron's already played his last important nba game like those are those are gone gone like barring some just like buddy healed and miles turner are not flipping the lakers to contention in the west it's just not there and i don't see the path with the age and what he needs out of anthony davis for a full season from october to june i just don't think he can do it because you got to be a top four seed you look at it it, year over year, you've got to win enough regular season games to get home court advantage, at least for one round. And they, I just don't see a path. So I think it's over. Uh, I'm going to enjoy it. It's uh, LeBron <laughs> James, but I just, I think it's over. Is that a, is that a quake take, Justin? I, it's a bit of a take. Um, I think it's a little tricky because they're going to have a max cap slot next summer in all likelihood. I, I hate the idea of them punting a year. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think in all likelihood, like if LeBron is playing other meaningful games, it's not going to be as the guy anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Like if he joins the Cavs in two years and and signs like mid-level exception or whatever, because he's just going to go ring chasing, uh, he's probably going to be like maybe the third best player on the team. Like, yeah. uh, And that's crazy to say, but we're almost at the point where like he's maybe a fringe top five, small forward. When you look at Kevin Durant, Giannis, uh, Jason Tatum and some of these other guys that have kind of narrowed the gap. And uh, it's amazing that he's hung on as long as he has, but it, it's the math that has certainly changed on LeBron. Yeah. I think the only way is James Jones bringing in his friend and just doing a Deandre Aiden for LeBron James trade. Like that is something <laughs> that I've always pitted. Yeah. Like just that would be best for both sides. I don't know if it can happen. And then LeBron eventually just buying the Suns from Sarver is uh would just be a great thing and then he and james jones just run the suns together um i don't know that's my long-term conspiracy theory on how things go with lebron uh (laughs) last thing so when you look at the schematic stuff justin you think about how these guys are all going to play together what excites you most what should Cavs fans be most excited about 
what Donovan Mitchell with what you've seen from JB Bickerstaff and what kind of stuff he runs, what is going to be the coolest part of Mitchell being integrated into their offense and their half court offense, especially. Man, I, I just think it's what both he and Garland could do on and off ball. Like both of them are, are such high level playmakers and both of them are so skilled running the pick and roll and they have two really good pick and roll bigs. Like mm-hmm. I said, the, the fact that Mobley and Allen worked so well together in year one is really encouraging because that was supposed to be a year where, hey, the, maybe the offense doesn't work, uh, but at least they're good on defense. That wasn't mm. the case. The offense worked really well. Like the, those guys with the double drag, their intelligence off ball, uh, there was a lot of things that they can do. And to me, it's really exciting that you look at it last year and the way when they were healthy, they played was Jared Allen starts at center, Mobley checks out, and he's the backup center. So you have 48 minutes of elite rim protection and elite defense. Those guys are going to get better. And now on the offensive end, you are going to now have that same situation where there's 48 minutes of one of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell on the court offensively. And those are guys that can lift entire lineups up. And if you just get a a couple guys to hit, uh, whether it's Karis LaVert stepping up, whether it's Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, uh, Dylan Windler, Uh, And obviously, Kevin Love, like you can have sustained really high level play on both ends of the court. And and I think that that's a really, really exciting place to be. And one final thought as well is when we talk about Cavs going from where they're at now to contending, Mm. I think the only really thing that they need is for Evan Mobley to hit his potential. Because if you have three all stars and none of them are your best prospect, and all of a sudden that fourth guy, becomes the the best player on this team even if he's not the leading scorer is the most impactful best player on this team that's probably enough to get you into the contending mix so if evan mobley reaches his potential and garland and mitchell are your second and third best player in some order that's a really really good roster so i I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited as a Cavs fan we'll end on this justin september 7th it's your opportunity to be clairvoyant justin rowan of the chase down pod what does this season end like for uh, for Cleveland? Second round. Okay. Uh, second round team put up a good fight, maybe a six-game series in the second round. I, I, I would be really happy with that as an outcome, whether that's as a three or four seed. I'm going to predict right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to put on uh, my prophecy goggles and, and say that they're, they're going to get home court. So um, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. They were half game out of the one seed at the All-Star break last year, and then they just didn't get to play together after that. So point. who falls out, though, in this scenario? I think Miami. I think Miami yeah. is the team that, to me, stands out. Um, yeah. I know they were the one seed last year, but there was about two games separating like one through five. Um, I think they got a little bit worse on the court. They're a little bit older and they didn't really do anything to replace the guys that left. So I'm going to say Miami because uh, I also just don't think that they're going to prioritize the regular season in the same way as some of these other teams. That's interesting. I think it's gonna, someone's going to fall out like yeah. the heat. We just keep waiting on because, I mean, since the bubble on just the march and the mileage that all the guy, all these guys have on them, it's just you're waiting for the bottom to fall out at some point. Uh, for this group and I think that's why they continue to explore bigger deals is they're like we we're playing with fool's money like we didn't expect to be in the finals in 2020 we didn't expect to just get this much out of this group but I don't know uh, Miami's the big wild card there too and yeah um, and obviously is, Philly because of health. yeah Philly like, if they're healthy if Embiid, if Embiid misses time um, mm. that just 
takes them out of, out of the running, right? So yeah. I, I think I, I take Garland and Mitchell over Maxi and Harden at this point. Uh, yeah, that might be a hard hot take. I don't know, but I'm, I'm taking. I think it's fair. Two. I'm I'm here for it, Justin. What can the good folks check out from you over at uh, the Chase Down this week? Yeah, uh, absolutely. We got uh, Tony Jones coming on the podcast uh, Thursday, uh, September 8th. So really excited to talk to him and kind of get more of that Utah perspective of both how this trade went down and what Donovan Mitchell presently does and what the Cavs situation would do for his playing career moving forward. So uh, really excited to talk to Tony and you can find that wherever you got this podcast. I like it. I like it. Tony's good people, and uh, that'll be fun. I also love the my conspiracy. Last thing, conspiracy theory on this, Justin, is that they had that uniform leak, right? That they're just they're really bad. These uniforms are really, really bad, and just the highlighter green, the black. Like watching Jazz games this year, whenever they play, like come into your city, you're gonna be like, who is that? And you're gonna have to do a double take. They I feel so bad tank- for Colin Sexton. Like yet another <laughs> coach and yet another top jersey for him to wear. At, right, right as the Cavs rebrand launches, he he goes to a team with just the worst jerseys I've ever seen. But they get to dump them once the rebuild ends. So I think these uniforms will only be synonymous with this horrible time in Utah basketball where they're atrocious. And then when they flip it, because they were kind of locked into this, that they had to do this for a little bit. Once this ends, I think we're going to get because I think it's like three years is when they can uh, get rid of these uniforms and bring in something else. That's when they move. So I think it's just going to be this nice synonymous thing where you're going to hate the uniforms, (laughs) hate watching this team. And uh, we'll see you on the other side, uh, Utah, in 2025. Until then, uh, you're off my league pass list. Justin Rowan, thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Yeah, we'll check in soon, and uh, I wish you no luck in that lawsuit <laughs> over the, the podcast names. I appreciate that. Maybe that's my one. Have a Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.